Life is back on, sports bettors, and BetUS has your NBA, NHL, UFC, PGA, and yes, NFL betting lines up for their 27th year and live betting on all of it. Log in to BetUS.com or call 800-729-3887. That's 800-729-BETUS. BetUS for 125% bonuses with promo code JONES22. Customer service pros are ready to get your phone and social and online sports betting kickoff started now. Play with the proven mainstay in the industry, BetUS. You bet, you win, you get paid. BetUS.com. You can also use the promo code JONES22 with crypto for a 200% bonus. That's BetUS.com. All right, man, ladies and gentlemen, do another edition of the Jones Report. Talk about Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us. Coming up on today's show, we're going to be joined by Jim Brinson, national sports broadcaster, known as Jimmy B. We will get his thoughts on all things happening in the National Football League as the Super Bowl matchup is ready to go. Also, Tom Brady has called it quits. We'll break that all down and more when Jimmy B joins us coming up in just a little while from right now. Plus, we'll have Coach Bo's Football Fix presented by O'Connor Advisory Group and our Tom Fulmer Story of the Week coming up at the end of the show as well. Thomas Bridges joins me right now. Tom, I mean, a loaded show today. No doubt about it. Uh, as we'll be talking plenty of Super Bowl and Tom Brady and you know, Caleb Williams, of course, going to USC and such. But obviously the biggest story in America right now is the fact that the uh, Washington football team is now known as the Commanders, right? Go Comets. About time. You know what I'm saying? It's about time. Um, I'm not sure, Jones. I, I'm interested on in your comments, really. Is it the best thing? No. I thought what, the what, what was your best name? I actually liked the football team. It had that FC Barcelona type feel to it of sorts, you know? I liked the football team. I, you know, I agree with you. I think you, at that point, you're there for, you know, a year and maybe a half. Keep it. Why not? I mean, like, you won the NFC East with the name football team. It's kind of a change of pace. You know, you don't have to be a Marvel. You know, I feel like Commanders is just a, I don't know, not even the color scheme, but just commanders is more like it feels like it's a marvel movie right it is fitting that a team from dc could be known as the commies though i mean yeah i like that people will call them that right i mean when they start to chant pat mcafee was absolutely spot on about this the other day they're not going to be chanting let's go commanders it's going to be let's go commies let's go you know i mean that's how it's going to work what else would you name them? The generals? Um, the senators? I mean, yeah, I guess you got what uh, NHL team is the senators? Ottawa? Well, then, you know, there was ideas about them being like the Red Wolves or the Red Tails or something like that. At that point, you're still keeping, it feels like, part of the former name at that point. You're just switching out the character. I mean, yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, that's the idea, right? 
they're especially like the red wolves. Like, okay. Like, what are you going to be the red buffaloes? <laughs> I or do I find it. You want to talk about cultural appropriation? Cause this is what it all comes back to. Um, I, yeah, like Washington actually took the name from the uh, AAF team. There was a, the uh, San Antonio Commanders, and their hashtag was Take Command, just like the uh, Washington team now. Right. I mean, well, you think about it, too. You know, anything you could put on, like, a Native American-style shirt, you see these, these shirts that are kind of vintage and popping up now more now, like, you have kind of like the moonlight in the top of the shirt and then a, and like a gray wolf at the bottom, right? Or like you see shirts that have like an eagle on them. Kind of like a, you know, it's it's like a, a nature shirt, but it's more like a, there's a Native American background to it, right? Like at the end of the day. So other than the commanders, you could have put senators. I think generals would have been great. You know, they could have been a lot worse. Red Wolves, I guess if you did it right, wouldn't be terrible. Right. And and, and as this goes on, what do you think the chances are? I don't want to transition too quick, but I do want your opinion on it. What are the chances the Chiefs change their name in, I don't know, let's say 10 years? I wouldn't rule it out. I would say it's unlikely, but I never thought Washington was actually going to end up changing their name either. So who knows? Fair enough. I mean, Union, what is Union now? And Tulsa. Tulsa Union now, I believe they are uh, the Red Wolves, I think. Really? I think so. I'm looking up up on the Google machine right now. They're the Red they're the Red Hawks now. Oh. Uh, they were a lot quicker to do it, which, granted, it's a little bit easier for a high school team than an NFL team. So, I get it. Speaking of uh, Tulsa, uh, you're there right now. You're kind of kind of stuck in uh, Snowmageddon, aren't you? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's um, there's not as much as I thought it could be, but we still have another round. So, you know. I hate it. I hate snow myself. Listen, I'd love to live in Denver, but only in the summer, right? And I don't have that money just to live in a place for a summer, right? I can't, you know, eventually I hope we make it to a point, Tyler, where we can just say, oh, you know, this is where I go in in, in months, you know, April through October. Right. We get to that point. That's That's the goal, right? Right. Um, point where we have a location by season. Right. That'd be great. You know, I'll, I'll be in Daytona Beach here in a couple of weeks, and I'm looking out at this snow right now, and it can't come soon enough. You know, well, I was in Tampa, though. You know, you say that. I was in Tampa, and it was still – granted, it was a little bit warmer than it was here. It still was, though, 60 – about 60 degrees. And I was talking to Tampa people, and they were like, yeah, this is cold for us. And it was – it was like at night, it was about 52, 53. It was cold, um, especially because the humidity off the ocean. Yeah. It was it was chilly. It was – I'm not going to lie, it was chilly. Um, you know, game day was fine. 
but as it progressed through the night, it was it was chilly. We had a good time though. Um, definitely not as cold as it is here right now. I, I would much rather be in Tampa or Daytona than right here in Tulsa. Do you think Caleb Williams is uh, struggling with cold right now? Mm. No. Where's he from, Virginia? Yeah, D.C. area. Yeah. If all goes well for him, he'll be playing for the Commanders in about three years. Wouldn't that be something? It'd be beautiful. Future Commander Caleb Williams. Commander Caleb, done. Right, write it right now. <laughs> I mean, the move back- in LA for him and, and joining USC, that was bound to happen, right? Everyone saw the writing on the wall. I, I, it's he so was funny out- to me, the people that act like they're surprised. Right, like he's like, well, OU's still on the table. No, it's not. Well, then I understand – the crowd of folks that were upset with Lincoln Riley, but I mean, Caleb Williams, that's a different story. I mean, he's a college kid living out in LA and he can do whatever his NIL right. money. I mean, give him a break. That's fine. Let him live his life. He came to OU to play for Lincoln Riley. I, I don't, I don't fault. I'm not going to go after a college kid. I mean, I, it's not even the college kid thing for me. It's like, um, okay. You know, we talked about, we talked to this to Jose, you know, and, and a lot of people, we talk about Jose every now and then. A lot of people don't know who's, who, who Jose is, right? He's one of our good friends. He graduated from Oklahoma State, but he's a big OSU fan. Or he's a big OU fan, I'm sorry. Um, we talked to him, and, and it's, it's easy to be biased. I'm, I'm Tyler's not probably the least biased when it comes to things. I can be very biased. Jose is the most biased, right? So if you want to look at it from the most non-biased perspective, say you didn't grow up here. If you're listening from the show and you're in Oklahoma, let's say you didn't grow up here. If someone's going to pay you money somewhere and you had two choices to play in LA or the middle of Oklahoma, where are you going to play? Let's say you grew up in Wisconsin. Where are you going to play? Middle of Oklahoma or Los Angeles, California? And when you came to Oklahoma specifically for one coach and that one coach is gone. Right. I mean, anybody that's not an OU fan is going to say LA. It's easy. You know, even if it's an OSU fan, I'd be like, you know what? I didn't grow up an OSU fan or live in Oklahoma, or go to that university, you know where I'm probably going? I'm probably going to L.A. Like, that's the easiest decision in the world. Right. I mean, how old is he, like 20? Yeah. It's it's apples and oranges on comparing Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley and their moves here. Totally different situations. Um, I don't fault Caleb Williams at all. Um I think he's a, he's a great kid. I can't say the same about his dad. His dad seems to be a nut job. Um, <laughs> you know, his dad's got that, you know, uh, like, like, like the uh, Williams sisters, uh, dad, you know, kind of thing going on, or maybe a LeVar ball to some, some extent. Um, but 
Caleb Williams, yeah. I mean, going out to L.A., he won't be there too long. You know, he'll be draft eligible. I mean, his dad is so nuts, um, Tom. It would not shock me if he tries pushing Caleb to take the Maurice Claret route and, you know, try to get the draft rules changed or something to be eligible. Or maybe he goes goes and plays a year in the XFL or USFL because he wants that money. He wants that, that check of something. He is not going to play for the Chargers. Right. He's not going to play. He's, yeah, I feel like his dad might be like um, Kawhi's uncle, Kawhi Leonard's uncle, where, you know, he, he moves universities. He's not going to play for – Caleb Williams, I'll tell you right now, is not playing for the Cleveland Browns. Oh, his dad's going to be the type that – is going to make, you know, king, kingmaker moves when he does into the draft. Like, hey, he's not playing for this team. At the rate it's going right now, if you had to guess an NFL team he plays for, I'm going to guess the New Orleans Saints. I would hope, at least for Saints fans' sake, they fight a quarterback before then. Well, fair enough. You know, there's, you know, if the commanders still haven't found a quarterback since Alex Smith got injured. So it could be a while. Yeah, it could be. It could be. Uh, you know, this weekend, you got the clash there at the Coliseum. Um, there's a radio station in the Tulsa area that's been running an ad about how, you know, hey, Sooner fans, I know that you want to crash, you want to wreck Lincoln Riley, but you can't. And then another host proceeded afterwards and said, you probably want to wreck. Uh, Caleb Williams as well right now. I mean, I, I thought that – I thought things were good with Sooner fans. I thought that, you know, from, from what they tell me, that everything's great with Brent Finables and, and uh, Dylan Gabriel. They don't need those guys. You know what? It still hurts. But, I mean, Jones, you grew up a Sooner fan. I grew up a Sooner fan, right? We know how it is. We think, you know, as Sooner fans, whatever comes in, you know, and it's not just – Norman. I actually do love the pettiness to an extent. Uh, I mean, yeah, I'd be a little petty if everybody left my deal. I mean, you know, I they know that, you know, and they're fans too. You root forever who's going to come in. Of course they want Dylan Gabriel to be the next Heisman. Is he going to be? I mean, no. I heard from a sports talk host at Norman talk about how Dylan Gabriel is going to come in have a big year, and then be a first-round draft pick. I'm like, Absolutely hold not. the phone. Hold the phone, guys. We, we, all I heard about last offseason was Spencer Rattler winning the Heisman Trophy here. And how that if Spencer Rattler wasn't sure you're telling me Dylan Gabriel's going to be? Come on. I mean, I'm sure the kid's not bad, right? Like, at UCF, he's not bad. Right. But you're telling me he's going to come win the Heisman? No, I mean, <laughs> like – you know, I, 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 you know, about, I, about 95% of Sooner fans didn't know who Dylan Gabriel was before he signed. Absolutely not. No, let's be real. How many OU fans knew? Well, you're exactly right. How many OU fans knew who the fuck that was? I didn't. I'm not an OU fan, but I still didn't know. Right. Right. Even if UCF is joining the Big 12, I still didn't know who that was. Right. 
Gosh. Bad, though. Not bad. Right? Right. He's not terrible. Would I say he's probably on par with Spencer Sanders? Yeah. Um, I did have a good laugh about the story Pat Forty put out this week that said that uh, Lincoln Riley didn't find the SEC and OU's move to their appealing. And it was one of those deals where it was something we all knew. It just hadn't been said aloud yet. And, you know, our buddy Eddie Radosevich said on Twitter, which, you know, every Sooner fan, even if you're not a you know, Sooner fan or whatever, everybody needs to follow Eddie. Eddie said that the word to describe Lincoln for that starts with a P and ends with a Y. And <laughs> I'm like, that's perfectly said. That's what we've been saying all along. Somebody just said it aloud finally. Right, they just put it out there, and everyone's like, "Oh, you're you're brave," but more so one of those things like, "Well, I wasn't gonna say it, but oh, so true." So, Lincoln Riley and uh, Caleb Williams out at USC. I mean, they got to be a top ten team now, right? You know, I've seen the two early preseasons. And a lot of them have, like, OU between, like, 12 and 15. And I'm just like, no. Like, not until they prove it, right? Yeah. I still think they're top 25. It is f***ing OU. But USC, I think, is going to be top 10. In preseason? Yeah, I think they'll be top 10 almost every poll. Yeah, I mean, we're about okay. Really, it's going to come down to you. You would think USC, Oregon, Bo Nix versus Caleb Williams, and and honestly, right now, like after I saw Oregon play, you lose you you lose Thibodeau. If you had to pick right now with the rosters that we know of, I'm picking USC over Oregon. Yeah, I mean, they took Oregon's best player, Travis Dye, as their starting running back. Right, I'm I'm taking Oregon plus twelve. The thing that stands Sorry. USC and Oregon's way both is still Utah, though. That Utah team is going to be really good. Yeah, I mean, Utah is one of those teams that you know. If I had my hand, if I had to hand pick, the best team in Utah is not BYU. It's going to be Utah. Uh, if I had my pick for the Big Twelve, if you bring in. Houston, Cincinnati, and Utah, and you know UCF, sure, whatever. Uh, Utah is going to be the best one. I'm not. I would. I would have said that midway through the season too. After Cincinnati loses everybody, they're going to be um, on par. Like Utah was a couple games away from being where Cincinnati was. Well, and you think about this with Utah, and I mean not to be trying to ride Utah's cock too much here. But, I mean, if the college football playoff was like the NFL playoffs where, you know, you had an expanded field and your goal was – They're the Cincinnati Bengals. Right. They very well could be. I mean, they were as hot as any team in America to end the season. And, I mean, they may have been the third best team in the country behind Georgia and Alabama at the end of the year. They very well could but they hey. lost three games, so they weren't going to touch the playoff in this system. No, we can we can talk about that because I even tweeted it out. No one wants to play Utah. Ohio State was lucky to pull that off. That game code goes either way. 
and it just so happened to go towards Ohio State. Utah's not a team that you want to play. Like, if there's nothing to lose, you don't want to play Utah. I, I, I know OSU, it's I'll there. say this. OSU would have lost to Utah. I, Utah would have kicked the shit out of Notre Dame. So, I know it's February. Um, but. We're on the I'm way to a train. But I'm on record that I'm riding the Utah Utes uh, in 2022. I'll, I will get on that train, too. We are, from this day forward, we're taping this on February the 3rd, a pro-Utah podcast. We're pro-U-Pod. Yes. Go Utes. So. I really uh, do think, though. Like, we joke and we laugh. I mean, we're a pro and anti-Pod, wherever way, you know, whichever way you want to do it. But, I, Jones, I, you know, we can joke. Like I said, I don't think Utah's messing around. Yeah. Like, if Utah wins the whole damn Pac-12, I'm not going to be shocked, right? Like, eyes are on USC and Oregon. If Utah just says, you know what, well, no, we're not going to take your West Coast for an option. Uh, I I think it's 50-50 Utah wins Pac-12. Yeah. And, and they're going to go under – you know, they're going to go under – Undercover because Utah, or I'm sorry, Oregon has Bo Nix coming in. What I'm not a believer in that. And then USC has Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley. They're going to go. They're going to fly under the radar, and Utah is going to come in in the last four games and win the and win the Pac-12. Okay. February third. Remember it. When it gets to about December twelfth, we'll talk about the show again. Okay, you heard it first. Um. We'll have plenty of Super Bowl discussion on next week's show. And so I want to kind of be more Tom Brady heavy today with the news that Tom Brady's retiring. And, Tom, the way I look at this with Tom Brady, you know, I've been trying to put this into words the last couple of days. And and what I've come up with in this word salad, if you will, is that – we know that Tom Brady is the the GOAT, that he is the, the greatest to ever play the quarterback position, greatest to ever play the game, most accomplished. The stats all speak for themselves. But the biggest thing for me, right along those same lines, is not just the career that was for Tom Brady, but the story of Tom Brady. When you talk about a guy that – was fighting for his life at Michigan and found a way to lead his team to an Orange Bowl title, was a sixth-round pick, only saw the field because Bledsoe got hurt, took advantage of that opportunity, didn't give it up, went through some peaks and valleys through the dynasty of the New England Patriots. There was a nine-year stretch where they didn't win a Super Bowl. And the 16-0 and team, the – uh, the way that they came back, that they had that second stretch. Going to Tampa Bay when many people said he couldn't do it without Belichick, when he was told he couldn't do it in his 40s and still found a way. His final season, after winning a Super Bowl, still leads the league in passing yards and passing touchdowns. I think, for me, it's not just that Tom Brady was this great quarterback 
and the most accomplished quarterback we've ever seen. It's the story of Tom Brady. Even with Spygate and Deflategate and all these other things, this was quite the tale in the life that was Tom Brady in the National Football League. I would argue that not only is Tom Brady the greatest to ever play this game, it's the best story that's ever been told in the history of the National Football League. That's how I'll remember Tom Brady. How will you remember Tom Brady? John, you mentioned in your dead on, <clears throat> think about it. They made a movie from Kurt Warner, right? And I get the allure of Kurt Warner. One, because I'm a Rams fan. Two, because the man bagged groceries before he finally got on the team, right? That's cool. You mentioned Tom Brady. Six-round pick. What he laid behind Drew Bledsoe. Really kind of, if you want to mention it, you know, does have similarities to Kurt Warner in the fact that Kurt Warner was essentially behind Trent Green before he went down. Rams win the Super Bowl, at least the greatest show on turf. Kurt Warner didn't have the longevity Tom Brady had. And, and he didn't even, obviously, if this goes unsaid, didn't have the success that Tom Brady had, right? It was more of a, a feel-good Cinderella story where Tom Brady's was Cinderella's start out, and then it was absolute dominance, right? It wasn't that Cinderella for Tom Brady, like, had one good night. This man took over the kingdom and is the greatest NFL player by, you know, opinion, sure, but still, I think, in my eyes, the greatest NFL player to ever do it. And I think he'll remain that for at least 50 years. At least. I mean, I really don't think there's anybody else that's going to come in and do it. We say that. People said that about Michael Jordan and LeBron James came. And you could even throw Kobe in there um, to some extent. But someone else is going to come along that's going to be close to Tom Brady. But for for him, if you want to, like, think about it, think about it, he is our Michael Jordan, right? He is our... We were here for the Michael Jordan. Is there going to be a LeBron James in the NFL that that competes with that? I I, I don't know. You ne- I mean, you can't, right? Absolutely. And and Tom, you were at now Tom Brady's last game when he fell to the Rams in that divisional round playoff game. They rallied. They had a chance. That Mike Evans touchdown was just beautiful. It was a hell of a football game. Tell me now, from your perspective, of you looking back at that and knowing that you were at Tom Brady's last game, that's got to be pretty cool. You were not only happy to see your Rams win, but to see Brady for one last time had to be something else, too. Well, the first time and the last time, right? Um It was special because, you know, he had beat the Rams twice and just was a terror on the league for, I don't know, Jones, since me and you really been alive and cognizant to watch the NFL. He's been a terror, right? I I don't know. Sure, the people that played before him, you know, we saw Peyton Manning start before him and Brett Favre, whatever. We saw those careers. I don't care. The best player that we've ever seen in our lives, when we were cognizant enough to watch the NFL and realize what was, what was going on, was Tom Brady. That's just it. And so to see the Rams essentially retire him, especially after he beat the Rams in 01, beat him in 18, and the Rams 
had shit the bed for, I don't know, the better part of 14, 15 years. It's very satisfying. It's, it's To see Tom Brady's last game in Tampa, you know, is, is a lot like I feel like people at, you know, people that watch the Thunder Spurs playoff game when the Thunder beat the Spurs and retired Tim Duncan. It's one of those things I'll tell – if I ever have kids, one of those things I'll tell my kids, you know, I feel like I asked my uncles or my dad about Joe Montana and how he was, like, in his prime. And they tell me, you know, about the catch, and they tell me all about these other stories of seeing him. And before Tom Brady, I would have told you when, when Brett Favre's dad died and he, he went out and literally whooped the fuck out of the Raiders in the way that he did it is one of the most inspirational things I've ever seen. Tom Brady, even more so on that when you combine everything. So when I, you know, if, and when I have kids, they'll be like, Hey, so, you know, obviously they weren't alive during the time of Tom Brady. Um, they'll be like, Hey, what do you think about Tom Brady? Or, you know, there'll be some new up and coming some kid that's in, I don't know, fifth grade right now might have the chance to be as good as Tom Brady and my kid. You know, if I ever have a kid, we'll idolize that person that, you know, is really now in fifth or sixth grade. And they'll say, well, you know, let, let's say for and giggles that kid's name's Will Hartford. Will Hart, you know, kid will say, oh, Will Hartford's better than Tom Brady or Tom Brady wasn't that good compared to Will Hartford. And I'll say, listen, no, you don't even understand how good Tom Brady was to literally put a reign of terror on the whole league. And I got to see his last game. And I'll tell him the story of me going to Tampa Bay on a whim, seeing the, my, you know, the Rams beat him. And then me, you know, flying, you know, flying in, flying out real quick, and then not knowing until about a week later that that was the greatest quarterback of all times last game. Um, and I was there for it. And, and if you think about it too, Jones, if they would have known it was his last game, those tickets would have been probably quadruple the cost. Right. It's it's something else uh, when you look back. And – at least 1200 to get in as crazy it may seem tom i think one of the things that also amazes me when you look back on tom brady is as popular as the nfl is and the ratings how terrific they are the fact that we're all invested in it one way or the other i would argue that tom brady actually was underappreciated you look at the end of his career really was the first time that he wasn't viewed as the villain anymore. Getting away from Bill Belichick and getting away from the New England Patriots, the PR campaign totally shifted on Tom Brady, how people viewed Tom Brady. With the way that the flight gates and Spygate and these things were looked at on Tom Brady, and you had all these other quarterbacks that maybe were a little more flashy, like your Michael Vick's, Patrick Mahomes's of the world and such. Tom Brady wasn't given the appreciation that maybe he deserved to an extent. To me, that's what's bizarre is that through all the accomplishments of all the records that he broke, all the games that he won and such, that Tom Brady was – viewed in a league as just one of many stars, not the guy. I mean, there was never a point in time where he separated himself. I mean, it was him and Peyton Manning together. It was him and Patrick Mahomes together. 
although he was outperforming and outplaying those guys, there was never a point in time. You look at the NBA, for example, there's the Kobe era, right? There's a LeBron era. Peyton Manning and, and those guys shared a stage with Tom Brady. That's what I find fascinating is that throughout all this, and, and, and maybe it speaks to the humility of Tom Brady, I don't know. But we don't look back at this last 22 years as the Tom Brady era, per se, that he, he shared the stage with other stars in this league, and maybe we should have given him more of that stage in that sense. No, and yeah, we could have really. I mean, I, I think, too, you mentioned Michael Vick, and I, I love this comparison. Not, you know, a lot of people are either love Michael Vick or hate Michael Vick. I don't give, I don't give two what you think about Michael Vick. He changed the game the same way Steph Curry has changed the NBA. And Steph Curry way more successful overall than Michael Vick was ever, right? Ever. But he changed the game, right? And I, I think this points back to your point of sharing the stage or changing the game. Tom Brady changed the game because he was a f***ing winner, right? Michael Vick didn't win shit. Brett Favre sure won a little bit, and it was a little bit before Tom Brady. But in comparison, Brett Favre did win shit. Aaron Rodgers did win shit. Peyton Manning, of all people. You know, we, we mentioned the battles. You know, if you want to talk about the good old days, if you want to talk about the good old days, Colts Peyton Manning versus Tom Brady was unlike a rivalry in terms of, of, of things that you'll ever see in sports. It's one of the greatest. You know, you can put it up there with the old school Dallas and Redskins things. Tom Brady versus Peyton Manning was something we will talk about 50 years from now, I promise you. Um, like, that's just how it is. But what they never had was Tom Brady's just willingness and drive to win. And, and, you know, I'm not here to jack off Tom Brady or anything like that. I mean, for all intents and purposes, I almost tweeted this out. I hate Tom Brady. I hated Kobe Bryant. I hate Dirk Nowinski. Not because I didn't respect them. This is the most important part of what I'm just saying. I can hate all of them, but it's not hate in terms of, I don't like you as a person. It's in terms of, hey, you've beat my team so many times and I had hope and you snatched it away from me that I am so happy that Tom Brady is retired and is done because he can't hurt my team anymore. Doc Rivers said the same thing about Kobe Bryant, and I feel the exact same way. Obviously, rest in peace to one of the greatest Kobe Bryant. But he hurt my team too many times. He, but even he, that, to an extent, Tom – I would have loved to see Tom Brady come back. I was all in on the idea of a retirement tour. For me, it's not a thing where, okay, you look at Nick Saban in college football. If Nick Saban retired tomorrow, the entire sport would change because there would be a big opening all of a sudden, a a gap to fill, and a lot of college football's problems would be solved if Nick Saban stepped away. In the case of Tom Brady – this is a guy, yes, he has gotten in the way of a lot of teams, but it's not because the system is flawed of some sorts that he's outworked the system. He's just been better than everybody else. I mean, look at LeBron. LeBron is the same way. When LeBron retires, it's the same way. Dirk, 
I mean, Dirk never had the surrounding characters that even even Tom Brady had. And it, Tom Brady had probably maybe the same surrounding characters. You could argue Randy Moss. You could argue Gronk. You could argue Edelman or Wes Welker. But Edelman or Wes Welker on any other team is not shit, honestly. Edelman or Wes Welker is not shit on any other team. Gronk on any other team, probably not one of the top five tight ends, maybe top three of all time. No way if he doesn't have Brady. There's no way. So when I see Tom Brady retire, like when when I got that, like I paid however much for the ticket to go to Tampa. And when Tom Brady finally was like, okay, yo, I'm done. I was like, yes, yes. I got to see my favorite team retire the greatest quarterback of all time, even though he's had their number for how, you know, twice in the Super Bowl and then for years beyond that. Like, like to see that brought me so much joy. Like it made however much I spent on those tickets to go to the divisional round and how much I spent on that trip. Absolutely worth it. Because like I can't imagine another timeline that I don't see my own team retiring Tom Brady. It's not that they did it on their own or he wasn't ready. Or even if he had another year, Tom Brady's one of those greatest, kind of like Tim Duncan, that doesn't need a retirement year. Yeah, we want it, right? We want Tom Brady to have one of those where the, you know, other teams he goes and visits can like give him a jack off video like Kobe got a jack off video like Dwayne Wade got a jack off video like Dirk got Tom Brady is one of those people that doesn't even need one. And I don't even want to see Tom Brady get one. Not like I said, this is very important, not because I don't respect him as a player or his greatness, just because he has terrorized the whole league long enough that it's finally over. Right. It's finally over. It's done. Like he's like the king is dead. Like if you are not a Patriots fan, like then then and obviously you don't want to be a Bucks fan because now you're going to go back and tell relevance. Like Jones, it's so important for other teams to like see this Tom Brady retirement, not in a way that they want to see it. If you're if you're not a fan of a team, I think that's soft. That's soft. No, it's. Job no, it's is, not. We can have this skip argument. Your job no. is to just just beat him. If you if no, well, you know, and the Rams we'll did beat, beat his him. ass. The right. Rams did beat his ass, but he was that good. Like this, like Jones. We can agree. This was a Michael Jordan. This is this is our Michael Jordan, right? LeBron is good. LeBron's cool, but at the end of the day, LeBron. You know, if you want to talk about the closest comparison in sports to Michael Jordan, to Michael Jordan, it is Tom Brady. And, you know, if you want to put those two together, you can say Tom Brady is the best sports, I don't know, I don't want to call him a hero, but he is, sports hero of all time, the best sports sport figure of all time ever. No ifs, ands, or buts. You can talk about Michael Jordan all day and how many people he influenced. Tom Brady is the same way. But it's not even about that. It's the fact that, hey, this is, you have an even playing field, and, you know, Tom Brady's out there, go beat him. Tom Brady made the league better. I mean, the popularity of the league increased under Tom Brady. He made it more appealing. I mean, I want to see Tom Brady play as long as he can possibly play because he makes it more entertaining as it goes along. So, yeah, but Tom Brady, especially if you're Brady, is, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what this league does going forward without its biggest star. I mean, it's still the NFL. They'll be fine, but maybe there's a drop of, of some sorts a little bit. I mean, it'd be intriguing to see, but 
we'll uh, we'll have to wait and see what happens. I'm excited for Tom Brady. His next field. This is worth having the convo. There's a country song called Who's Gonna Feel His Shoes. And if you haven't heard of it, the older people listening in will know exactly what I'm talking about. Song called Who's Who's Gonna Feel His Shoes. Like we have a pretty solid quarterback core coming up. Not a Tom Brady, maybe, but we like it, you know it's when right. you know when Kobe walked it's away. It's going to be one individual that replaces Tom Brady. It's going to be the plethora of the Mahomeses, the Joe Burrows, the you know Justin Herberts of the world. Those guys, Josh Allen's together, will fill that vacuum. It won't be one individual as far as that goes. So. Um, something to think about there. Um, before we get to Jimmy B, I do want to touch real quick on this, uh, the, the Super Bowl matchups and we'll go more in depth on it next week when, uh, we, uh, are in the lead up to the Super Bowl, but the Bengals and the Rams ultimately is the Super Bowl matchup. And for me, Tom, I look at it. It's, it's pretty simple. The Rams front seven versus the Bengals offensive line here. I mean, if the Bengals offensive line can do enough, we have seen what Joe Burrow is capable of. Even giving up nine sacks against the Titans, they find a way. They, you know, managed to just give up one sack against the Chiefs. They found a way and such. If if they can work around this, just give Joe Burrow a little bit of protection, the Bengals very well can win this game. But you give two weeks for Raheem Morris in this defense to try to dial some stuff up, I would think that the Bengals are going to see some things they haven't seen before, and that's why I would give the Rams the edge here, is not only how much talent they have on that defense – but two weeks to prepare, it's kind of like what we talk about with the college football playoff. Um, you know, there, there's going to be some things I don't think Joe Burrow and company is going to be quite prepared for the Rams are going to throw at them here. You know, Zach Taylor is a disciple of Sean McVay. Sean McVay mentioned in an article that he wasn't prepared to face Bill Belichick in the first Super Bowl. Never been there, never been the experience. He was 33 at the time. Man's about 37 now. He faced Zach Taylor. This is the youngest head coaching age range together that's ever been, right? I don't know that the Rams find a way to choke against the Bengals. You already hit the nail on the head in terms of how well can that Bengals offensive line really do against Aaron Donald? That's what it comes down to. If the Rams can get a push the same way they stopped the running game against um, the 49ers, I expect the Rams to win. If they cannot, you know, you would expect that Jalen Ramsey would be on Jamar Chase. They also have Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins that can affect things. I don't know how good Usman's going to be in terms of the tight end position, but the Rams have their own tight end worries because Tyler Higby has an MCL sprain. So I don't know that he plays, but Kendall Blanton for the Rams has been playing just fine in that tight end spot. It's going to come down, but you're exactly right here. It's going to come down to can the Bengals block the Rams front seven? 
Um, I don't think so. I don't think they can enough. I mean, they can to an extent, but not enough, I think, between the difference in a win and a loss here. How many Rams sacks are you, you counting on? I'm counting on at least seven. At least seven? I'll go in the lower end. I'll say at least four. But it's not just the sacks, too. When you look at the statistics, Tom, it's going to be the the hurries. It's going to be the amount of time Joe Burrow has to get the football off. I think that's going to be the issue here. It's you know getting him under duress, under pressure of sorts, uh, keeping him in the pocket. It, the, the sacks won't tell the whole story here. There's going to be more to it. I mean, yeah, there will be. And, and you know, like, I don't know if it feels like this to you, but I feel like the Bengals are kind of like the maybe the 49ers would be, kind of house money. Does it feel like house money a little bit for Cincinnati? I don't think Joe Burrow is going to go in with that approach at all. I think that no, of course not. that's such a gamer that – has such a charisma and attitude about him. I don't think he's going in with the idea of house money. I think for Bengal fans, you're just happy to be there. You, you talk about the difference between fan bases. The Rams have an expectation that this is a Super Bowl caliber team. They That's why they brought in Matt Stafford and why they made the changes that they did, bringing in Von Miller, Weddle, you know, those guys was the expectation to win the Super Bowl. Bengal fan base, happy to be here. But I don't think Joe Burrow has that same mindset at all. He's there to, to win this, this dadgum thing. Well, yeah, he is. It, it feels like the Rams and the Bengals switched places. Like the Rams were the Patriots when the Patriots played the Rams in 2018. Very young team, very up and coming. That's what this feels like. It feels like the Bengals are the Rams in 2018. It feels like the Rams are now the Patriots. I could see that. Well, good. weren't necessarily supposed to win. They had a great offense, still had a great defense, but you're facing someone experienced. They're not comparing Matt Stafford to Tom Brady, but, you know, McVay was never under Belichick, but Taylor was always under McVay. Right. And, and there's some storylines. It would have been more entertaining, Chiefs-Rams, but, you know, this is I, – I feel like if you would ask anybody if it was going to be Chiefs-Bengals to start with, they would have been like, well, I don't know. Right. I mean, the, the Chiefs season was a failure. I mean, you know, they had expectations that they were supposed to be here. They were supposed to win this all and ultimately came up short. The Bengals, it's a whole different story. Um, but it's going to be fun. I like the matchup. I do. I would be shocked if it's a blowout. This has been some of the best playoffs I've seen in my lifetime, how competitive all these games have been. Um, the Rams would be the favorites, and rightfully so. But there's no reason to think, based on the way this postseason has gone, that we're not going to see a good game coming up in uh, in a week or so. So we'll have more on it when Jimmy B joins us. Also, Coach Bo is going to stop by here in just a little bit. And later on, Thomas is uh, going to rejoin us. We'll talk some Big 12 hoops and uh, we'll also get to our Tom Fulgery story of the week as well. All that and more as we continue. Stay with us here at the Jones Report. <laughs> Joining us now at the Jones Report this week is Jim Brinson, Jimmy B, national sports broadcaster, as he has seen it all over the years. And I was trying to find somebody that has covered Tom Brady, that's seen everything, and also could talk about the rest of the stuff that's going on in the football world and 
And, and Jimmy B, you've had a front row seat. You've seen Tom Brady's career from start to finish. Uh, what do you make of the news that uh, he announced his retirement here? What was your takeaways? Uh, not surprising, but I found it a little interesting where he told everybody, well, I wanted to play till I was 45, but he made it to 44. <laughs> so that's pretty damn good. I, I think that the toll of this past season was heavy upon him. And I think that with his kids getting older and he's missing a lot of things that they're doing because of football, I think the reality of that finally set in. And look, he's got all the money that he would ever need. That's not an issue. For a while, his wife made more money than he did. So money is not an issue in the Brady household. And he's got into a lot of other things. Now you're seeing him in commercials. Uh, I, I, Tom Brady, trust me, he's just going to be just fine. <laughs> yeah, I, I certainly think so. And when you look back at this career of 20-plus years, these seven Super Bowl rings, three MVPs, what stands out to you most? What is the big thing that you think of when you look back on this Hall of Fame career that is for the, the great quarterback that is Tom Brady? I'll simplify it for you. He was a sixth-round draft choice and was behind Drew Bledsoe. He doesn't even sniff the field unless Drew Bledsoe gets hurt. And then the rest, as they say, is history. I think one of the things that stands out to me more than others is that he went through a period of time where he did not have great weapons to work with. In other words, he did not have wonderful wide receivers or terrific running backs. And he still found ways to win. And he found ways to win Super Bowls. So from that standpoint, I, I just have this feeling that it's one of those things that you have to just shake your head at and go, how did he do that without the great weapons that now most quarterbacks command that you have? So he had great weapons in Tampa Bay. And then he had some great weapons when he was with New England. Look, the Randy Moss years was unbelievable. They set all kinds of records and, and went on and on and on. And it was one of these things where you couldn't stop them until the Giants stopped them, of course, in the Super Bowl. So I, I, just, I think that you could go on and on and on. I don't think there's just one telling fact about Tom Brady, other than the fact that he's 44 and he looks 25 and he played like he was 25. And in the past two seasons in Tampa Bay, he led the league with over 5,000 yards in each season and in touchdown passes. That's really remarkable. To me, Jimmy B, on all the things that you mentioned you know, I, I kind of put it all together and, and think about this. We always talk about Tom Brady being the GOAT, right? The, the greatest of all time, and, and he is, of course. But for me, it's not just that, but it's the story of Tom Brady. You mentioned being a sixth-round pick. Uh, the, the dynasty there in New England, the dominance that they had. Um, you know, whether it was, you know, taking on the league with deflate gates and – you know, overcoming that and 
and the age factor, going to Tampa when they said he couldn't do it without Belichick. I mean, time and time again, he proved the doubters wrong. And for me, it's the story of Tom Brady that's just as fascinating as his greatness, what he did on the field. I would argue it's the greatest story that the league's ever told. It could be. There are others, I'm sure. But it is close to one of the best stories of all time in the National Football League. Look, the guy wasn't, he was, he was an afterthought, an afterthought, even though he had success at Michigan, including his final game at Michigan, where he, he threw for like three touchdowns and over 350 yards in the game in a victory in a bowl game. And he looked sensational doing it. But he fell until the sixth round. And when you look at the photo, it's hilarious the way he looked when he came in to the National Football League and, of course, the way he looks now. Look, it's, it's a fascinating story. I'm sure it'll make for a documentary for one of the networks, either ESPN or Fox or something, you know, somebody like that. And, and I think that it'll be a I, I think it'll be well worth the watch when that does indeed take place. What do you think the uh, Bucks do from here? Uh, I mean, obviously, uh, you still have uh, Bruce Arians around and some good weapons and such. But, I mean, replacing Tom Brady is not going to be easy. We talked about it so long in New England, what they were going to do. Ultimately, they end up with Mac Jones. Where does Tampa go from here, you think? Uh, if I'm uh, Bruce Arians, I'm on the phone right now to Green Bay. Hey, Aaron, get out of that freezing temperature. Don't freeze your ass off anymore. Come to Tampa. Look what Tom did. Now, they're going to not have all of the players that they have right now that Brady had. They're going to have to lose some. But they will have a decent complement of wide receivers, tight ends, although I don't know if Gronk's going to come back yet. But And, and they have a running game with Fournette. So, Tampa, I mean, I would make that call and, and inquire. Look, it's, I think it's the end of the line in Green Bay for Aaron. And could he go to Denver? Because Nathaniel Hackett just took the head coaching job there, the, uh, the guy who calls the plays for the Packers. I could see that taking place. But if I'm Arians uh, and I want a, uh, more star power, that's, that's the first call I, I make. Is to is to Green Bay. Otherwise, I can see Tampa drafting a QB. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be out there and available. If indeed you cannot commit, uh, co convince a star to come and play quarterback, then I believe Garoppolo for a season or two would be a nice intermediate situation for Tampa Bay be good enough to get them to the playoffs. I don't think that's a question. I mean, look at the division they're in. The division they're in is awful. Atlanta. No. Carolina. No. Just, just, just think about some of the teams that are in that division. They're dreadful. So I, I really think that Tampa could be the class of that division even if indeed they don't have a, a so-called star stud at QB. Well, I mean, even if you just look at the NFC as a whole right now, I mean, you know, the Rams had their quarterback in Stafford. Uh, you know, Seattle has Russell Wilson for now. 
or now with 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 Kyler Murray and then of course you know Aaron Rodgers is on the market I mean there's not a whole lot of elite quarterbacks in the NFC if if the Bucks can find whether it's a Rodgers or if they can develop a quarterback here the although they're going to lose some guys here they can get back up to the top again pretty quickly with the gap it seems to be in the NFC right now all the elite young quarterbacks are on that AFC side I agree with you a thousand percent. There's no question about that. The AFC is absolutely loaded. And I do mean loaded. So this is something that, you know, teams are really going to have to look at. I think it's going to be an issue in the draft, how teams now will approach the draft. So all of this, all of this is going to take place. Yeah. I think you're right about that. Uh, Let's go ahead and, uh, Move on. The uh, Super Bowl matchup uh, taking place on uh, uh, Super Bowl Sunday between the Bengals and the Rams. What do you think of uh, these two squaring off here in in a couple weeks? What do do you think of this matchup here? Uh, Joe Burrow is the real deal. Don't ever sleep on that kid. But I think that the Rams' defense is going to be the best that Cincinnati will see. And I believe the Rams not only will win the game, I believe they will cover the four and a half, which is, I think, what it is right now. I, I, I just think this is L.A.'s time. And the Bengals are a great story, great story with what they have done and what Joe Burrow has brought to that town and to all of Ohio. I mean, he's made even northern Ohio forget the Browns in a hurry. And right now, Cincinnati is king in that state. But the L.A. Rams are the real deal. And for me, what they did in acquiring the pieces to apply to the defense. Look, they they brought a guy back in Weddle, the safety. He hasn't played in two years. He was playing pickup basketball just to stay in shape, just in case somebody called him but he is a savant when it comes to playing defense and is like an extra coach on the field. So they knew that they just felt that they could get him into somewhat close to football shape, that he would have an impact on their team. And he has, he's played like 60 some snaps already. And a guy who's been out of the game for two years. So now he gets a full week of rest and more education on what the Rams like to do defensively before you play that Super Bowl in two weeks. It's, it's remarkable. The, the thing for me is I, I can't get over the matchup of the Rams defensive line versus the Bengals offensive line. I know that the Bengals – despite giving up more sacks than anybody in the National Football League, still found a way to make it to the Super Bowl. And I give them credit for what they did, and especially the adjustments against the Chiefs, only giving up one sack compared to the nine they had against Tennessee. But, I mean, we're talking about Aaron Donald, Von Miller here. To me, I mean, eventually this has got to catch up with this Bengals team, right? Eventually it's too much. That's what this Rams team looks like to me here. I'm with you. I, I think it's been a wonderful run. I've turned into a Bengals fan just watching what has taken place there. Look, remember, they were the dregs of the NFL for years. For like 15 years, they didn't make it into the playoffs. And then when 
They got Andy Dalton. They got in, but Dalton got hurt. And prior to that, they got in, but they never won a game in the playoffs. And now here they are now on the, and I'll, I'll go, I'll go big language here. I know this is probably too much for your viewers uh, on the precipice of, <laughs> of, of winning a Super Bowl, And, and it's, it's amazing. Uh, the, the story that Cincinnati has carved out Tyler, they lost to the bears. They got beat by Jacksonville. I mean, they, they lost games. And so this, this is, they, they got hot at the right time and they have parlayed that they got somewhat healthy at the right time, but so have the Rams. The Rams have gotten healthy. Cam Akers being back is going to make a big difference in the Rams running game. And Von Miller finally is healthy. You've got guys, although I I believe Stafford got dinged a little bit in the last game against the 49ers, but having that extra week, apparently everybody seems to think that he's going to be just fine. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of Stafford, uh, what a story he has been this year. And he was a guy that I thought for a long time, Jimmy B, that if he just got into the right situation, that he could prove a lot of people wrong. And he's done that, that and then some this year with his performance and the way that he stepped up in the playoffs too. I love what I've seen from Matt Stafford. I have no reason to think that he won't play well in the Super Bowl, Jimmy. What does it tell you about Detroit when one of the greatest running backs of all time in Barry Sanders says, nope. I'm done. I'm retiring. And he probably finally had another good five seasons in him of over a thousand yards each, each year. And what does it tell you when one of the greatest wide receivers of all time and Calvin Johnson, Megatron said, no, I'm done. It tells you that Detroit was terrible, absolutely awful. And you know, that's what happens in the national football league is that you get drafted and you get situated into that team. And then Stafford got caught where each time he had a contract situation, they paid him a lot of money. He's got a max deal. And, you know, you sometimes you got to take the money and run. Look, the guy's a gamer, has always been a gamer, but nobody ever talked about him because other than, well, he's never even gotten to the playoffs. Well, as soon as he, I, I feel like I should go back and quote, playoffs we talking about playoffs yes we're talking about playoffs for Matt Stafford and here he is in the Super Bowl so there are there are great storylines from both of these teams that will carry through until the game yeah yeah the the other quarterback Joe Burrow uh who you mentioned played so terrific uh throughout this stretch and remember he was out with a deadly knee injury tore the acl yeah and only only played a few games in his first season and here he is back again and look what they're doing it, it's it's unbelievable and for this just being his second year in the league we, we've seen some second year quarterbacks go to super bowls big ben russell wilson dan marino yes. but when it comes to the numbers that he did in the caliber of season, that's as good of a second season I've ever seen in this league, Jimmy B. I mean, Joe Burrow was just terrific from the, the jump this year from uh, this injury. I mean, what a remarkable story. 
The guy was the real deal at Ohio State. He couldn't, he couldn't win the job at that time, left, went to LSU, gets a chance to play his first year, his junior season. He's good, but not great, but good. And then the final season that he plays is at, at LSU. He is absolutely sensational. But they had a great complement of players. Remember the wide receivers that were there at, at LSU. Odell Beckham is one of them, and he's playing in the Super Bowl now against Burrow. So they had unbelievable wide receivers. They had a running game. They had a solid defense, and Burrow capitalized every opportunity that he had when he played at LSU. He parlayed it into the top pick for Cincinnati. And as they say now, the rest is history. Yeah, it's, uh, it's unbelievable for sure. Uh, the, uh, the coaching matchup, two young coaches, Zach Taylor and uh, Sean McVay here. Uh, kind of a, a changing of the guard when it comes to some of these uh, coaches here. These guys have been impressive, haven't they? I don't even know if those guys shave yet. <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you, maybe they just throw a little milk on their face and let the cat lick it off. I, I, it's, it's stunning to me that guys under 40 are coaching these two teams and, and everybody else is in awe of what they were able to accomplish. Now, what they did do, and I give them a lot of credit for this, they went out and they got what I like to call some graybeards to be on their coaching staff, guys who had pretty much seen it all. So you could go to a seasoned veteran assistant coach and ask him questions and get an honest answer because those guys aren't going to BS you. You'll get an honest answer from a veteran guy. They're not worried about walking on eggshells and keeping their job. So both coaches were able to do that, and both coaches have parlayed it into something really special this year. Yeah, it's it's been something else uh, for sure, Jimmy B. Uh, a few more things before we uh, let you go here. I got to ask you the uh, the big news uh, this week of uh, Brian Flores and and uh, the lawsuit that he's uh, put on the the NFL and three different teams. Uh, what was your reaction to uh, that news uh, that came out there? When it first came out, I was like shocked, stunned. Because I thought that anytime you do something like that, Flores knows that his coaching opportunities now are going to be slim and none and slim just left town. So I just hope that it's just not all hearsay. I hope he can back it up. I hope he has some proof. We know he has the text that came from Belichick. The thing that's highly interesting to me is what he said about the Miami owner, Stephen Ross, who wanted to pay him $100,000 per game for the Dolphins to tank so they could move up in the draft. Now, I don't know if he has proof of that. If he doesn't, it's going to be he said, she said sort of thing. And that'll be difficult to prove. But that to me, that really shocks the integrity of the game. And I took my cap then to Brian Flores for not stooping to that lower level that owners will sometimes want to do and protecting what he believed 
is the National Football League, and you have athletes who are paid to play, and they show up each Sunday trying to win a game. And I just, if, if he wins this or if it's settled quietly out of court, I believe that Flores will indeed get another chance to coach in the NFL because he will be proven correct, but I don't think it'll be next year. And I think that it's going to, he may have to wait a couple of years before an owner would take another look at him. Yeah. I mean, I, I look at Brian Flores, Jimmy B. I mean, this is a guy that can coach. I mean, he is oh, yes. proven that and he's done, you know, a heck of a job. I mean, this was fishy from the get-go from the moment he was fired. He was a guy that it made no sense of that he would be on the hot seat with the track record of what he had done there. I agree with you on that. And, look, he, he won seven in a row. Lost seven, went out, won seven down the stretch, and then lost the game at Tennessee and then won the final game. So this, to me, he did not have a very good offensive line. His Quarterback in Tua Tagovailoa is suspect. He's an NFL QB, but he's not a star. And he didn't have great wide receiving core or a great running back. He did a very good job adjusting the defense after they had dropped those games early in the season. He switched out the entire defense, and you saw the result of that. The guy, the guy knows what it's like to do X's and O's. He knows how to win, and he loves the game of football, and he's putting his neck on the chopping block pretty much to try to win this case. And to be honest with you, with everything that I've seen so far, I hope he does win this case. Yeah. I mean, it goes back to a real problem that exists in this league. When, when Mike Tomlin is the only black coach – right now i mean you can't say that there's not a problem here i mean it's you just can't ignore it at this point i mean it was the, the way that things were headed this type of uh thing was bound to happen eventually if flores kind of you know taking the nfl attack i'm not as concerned so much because white coaches get fired black coaches get fired we we've we've seen it both ways sure i under i understand that it looks bad on paper where in Pittsburgh, that's the only dark skinned coach on the sidelines. You do have a Hispanic coach in Washington, DC in Ron Rivera, but so our owners are our, our owners caught then between a rock and a hard place, because if they don't hire a black guy, are they going to get grilled then over and over and over again on why they didn't hire a black guy? Or if they decide they're going to hire a white guy, are they going to get grilled over and over and over again? Why'd you hire the white guy? So the NFL right now with the Rooney rule is caught between a rock and a hard place. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. And it's a very uncomfortable situation for everybody. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the team I love, you know, the Kansas City Chiefs, Eric Bieniemy has done as good of a job as any offensive coordinator the last three seasons and finds himself on 
the short end of the stick. I mean, part of that too, I think in the case, Jimmy B is that, you know, he hasn't been available to interview as much as some of these others because he's been coaching late into the postseason and Super Bowls. But I mean, there's just no reason why a guy like the enemy shouldn't be a head coach right now. Well, my, my, then I asked you this question when he has interviewed, maybe he's not a good interview. Yeah. I mean, look guys, people interview for jobs who are more than qualified. They're just not good at interviewing. Yeah. I, I mean, that's a, inter, interviewing for a job and actually doing the job are two separate things, right? You might be extremely well qualified and know exactly what you have to do on the job, but you get nervous. You, 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 you struggle to make eye contact. You, you, you just don't, have the correct answers sometimes because you're nervous in the job interview look in broadcasting it's the same situation Mm -hmm. you know you get interviewed before you are offered a job in in broadcasting it's different because we get paid to be on camera and to at least appear knowledgeable about everything at least we appear to do that but like i said it's different. And in, in, in what if you're a, an insurance agent? Well, you didn't get the job here in Springfield, Ohio, because you didn't interview well for that job, even though you were more qualified than the person who did get the job because they were a better interview when they had. I mean, li- I mean life's not fair. Yeah. It, it, it's just not. We all know that. But Sometimes I, I think there, there's, there's deeper patterns than just a, a person not, not getting the opportunity. I don't know this. I'm just stating that, uh, for a fact that some people interview better than others yeah. when, it comes to, when, it, when it comes to this, this scenario. But I would agree with you. I'm puzzled as well that Eric Bieniemy has not had a head coaching job. Yeah, I, I agree, 100%. Last thing before we go, uh, of these coaching hirings that have been made, uh, as we're taping this, it sounds like Jim Harbaugh is on his way to being the Minnesota Vikings head coach. Uh, what hirings have you liked uh, so far of, of what we know at this point in time? I think it'll be interesting to see what happens with Nathaniel Hackett in Denver. And I'm going to go back to something that I said earlier during our podcast here, and that is – does he swing Aaron Rodgers to come to Denver since he was Aaron Rodgers guy? So that connection is, is there. I also like what the Raiders did and they went and got a guy who struggled and that's putting it mildly. Josh McDaniels, when he was first offered the job in Denver struggled, but has since then learned, changed, and made improvements to his life. I think also the Raiders got past the fact that he was offered, meaning Josh McDaniels, the Indianapolis Colts job. You'll remember this. Yep. And then took it, and then a few hours later declined it, said he was going to stay in New England, and then that's how Frank Wright ended up being the head coach for the Colts. So I think Josh McDaniel has researched this well. I think he's got himself a quarterback in Derek Carr, who he believes 
is a tremendous QB. We saw how well Derek Carr played down the stretch, winning all those come from behind games when the Raiders were charging for a playoff spot. So I, I think this is probably a very good move for Josh McDaniel. And I think with the team that he has there, Josh Jacobs at running back, he's got a great uh, wide, wide, wide receiver tied in in Waller. And he's got Hunter Henry, uh, not Hunter Henry, uh, Hunter Renfro there as well in the slot. Uh, this is going to be a formidable team, uh, the Las Vegas Raiders. Yeah, they very well could be. Jimmy B, we're out of time. Appreciate you joining us, my friend. Check out this guy on Twitter, at Jimmy B Radio. We'll be uh, talking down the line. Thanks for joining us, man. Hey, dude, it's never a pleasure. <laughs> Perfectly said. Time for Coach Bo's Football Fix, presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. You can find O'Connor Advisory Group online, oagks.com, O'ConnorAdvisoryGroup.com. You can also reach out to Bo by phone at 785-856-0720. That's 856-0720 to schedule an appointment today. And you can also reach out to Bo by email, brian.oconnor at lpl.com. That's brian with a Y, dot O'Connor at lpl.com. And he joins us right now. Also, the host of the Coach Bono's podcast, available every Monday and Friday on Apple and Spotify and Google Podcasts. Bo, how are we doing? Doing good today, Tyler. How are you? Always. Always a pleasure, my friend. I uh, heard you had a good time seeing uh, Elton John the other night. Yeah, I took the wife to Elton John last night. It was a little bit of a late night. But we enjoyed it, and uh, it was a pretty, pretty good show. You know, for an old guy, he could really get after it still. So it was, it was fun. We had a good time, you know, enjoyed some good music, and great time that's great uh and i heard uh, you get stuck in the parking lot a little bit longer than you would like but yeah we got stuck about 30 minutes it, it's they gotta figure that out but you know it, it, at least the car was warm we warmed that sucker up got it you know i was like as soon as i got near it i was like hit the auto start <laughs> that's enough time for about another so, concert there uh you know i don't do many concerts i don't do many um, and when I do, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm a bit of a daddy. I'm a dad age now. So it's like, if I go, it's usually someone it's like, you know, like an Elton John or someone sure. like that, where it's like, okay, I'm not going to have a chance to see this person again. Let me go enjoy it. Yeah. And that's really at my age where it's kind of become, it's become like the people that I like have gotten older and you're not going to see them anymore. So you might as well go. You're not going to drag me to too many concerts. Though. Yeah. yeah. I'm more of a ball games guy. Sure, sure. Me too. Me too. Bo, uh, we'll have plenty of time to talk about the Super Bowl next week. So I want to kind of focus on looking back at the weekend that was of these conference championship games, starting out with the Bengals getting that win over the Chiefs. The Chiefs were up by double digits, had a chance to make it a three-score game at halftime, but failed to put up points on the board there. Then the offense just fell apart in that second half and open the door for the Bengals there. Um, I'm not going to get into the stupid argument of, did the Bengals win or did the Chiefs lose? We don't care about that. Um, but what I do look at is, you know, it, it is twofold. The Bengals did a great job of making second-half adjustments, but the Chiefs had every opportunity to win this game too. I mean, those two things are not mutually yeah. exclusive here. Yeah, I agree. I know. So what I, I went in hard on the Chiefs after the game. And what I said about it was that, obviously, I think Andy Reid got outcoached. I think that was the biggest thing. 
I think Andy Reid just got simply out coached in the game. And what I mean by that is, like you said, the halftime adjustments. The Bengals made two adjustments on defense. That slowed down the big plays. Tyreek Hill got shut out in the second half. And I think they were shell-shocked because of the stuff at the end of the half. I've been hearing people talk about that a little bit. Um, in that, you know, the, the, the clock management stuff, it always bites Andy Reid in the ass. I get that. And it just keeps over and over again. But the turnovers were big, too. We were, I was talking to a friend at halftime of the game, and I said, the way the Bengals get back in this, it's going to take two Chiefs turnovers. And you just can't think that, you, you know, they had a lead. The Chiefs did. They had the lead. They got the ball first. And you got to figure Mahomes or the Chiefs are going to turn the ball over twice. Those things all happened. I mean, it was okay. They, they three and out in the first possession. Didn't score before the second half, before the end of the first half. And Mahomes turns it over twice. But it doesn't help when you get the ball offensively. You run 31 plays in the second half, and you only run the ball 10 times. And that I haven't heard that said yet. They were averaging almost six yards a carry and didn't want to run the football. How do you shorten the game? Run the football. I thought Andy Reid got outcoached. That's saying something when Zach Taylor out, outcoached. Well, then, like, okay, let's look at that end of the fourth quarter, right, when they were running out the clock yeah. and trying to keep the Bengals off the field and such, and you had those, that you know first and goal situation. Uh, they had all the time in the world still. Why not run the ball there? The, the, the egregious one to me was second down there. They could have run the football. And if they get in, you get in. Play defense after that. But if you don't get in, okay, you can control the clock and run a third down play. I just I, – he does not understand how a clock works. I, I, no one by Andy Reid watched as a present because he won't know how to use it. I mean, it's ridiculous. I'm, I haven't seen – I mean, he's Mike McCarthy bad now when it comes to the clock and understanding how it works throughout a game, not just the end of the half. I mean, throughout the game, he really doesn't have a clue. Um, I think that it was a combination of both. The Bengals played much better defensively in the second half. Burrow made the one bad throw that got picked, but he played very well. I mean, he wasn't, you know, out there throwing three touchdown passes, but he played well. Uh, He outplayed Mahomes. And then Mahomes, those two interceptions, something was in his head, and they weren't ready for what the Bengals' defense switched up to. And that's what the Bengals have done throughout this playoff run, and they did late in the season, too. I think that was poor coaching in the end. Yeah, and – Why give the Bengals a a puncher's chance in this game? The biggest surprise for me, too, was – that the Chiefs were not able to get pressure on Joe Burrow. Only one sack after the Titans had gotten nine sacks the week before. The Bengals made adjustments, and they had a lot more screen passes using Joe Mixon and company, which they needed to do anyway. They should have been doing more of that all season, um, but better late than never. Um, They did a good job adjusting that, but the Chiefs did not get pressure. I mean – my, my goodness, I mean, that, that should have been what they were going for from the beginning. Yeah, the screen pass to Perrine right before the half that got the right, Bengals yeah. back in the game, that was the best play call of the game because now the, the Chiefs should have said, oh, here's what they're going to do to slow us down. And, and every time that the Bengals ran a draw play, they ran a few of them in the second half, 
you know, getting the ball to him, mixing sort of delay stuff. They really don't call it draws anymore, delays. And then the couple of screen passes, they were all first down plays. You know, it was something that, you know, the Chiefs were trying to get home. And it's hard to compare it to the week before for the Bengals when they had the nine sack game. That's just not going to happen. Sure. You knew that wasn't going to happen. I mean, but it was legit. You should have gotten the Burrow three or two or three, at least two or three times. And they didn't. They only got to the one time. He really didn't have a lot of pressure. And the defense, the offensive line did not play particularly well, especially their right side of their offensive line is bad. Uh, their right guard, right tackle aren't very good at all. And they, they were good enough. Burrow looked a lot like Brady in that game. And what I mean, like, like not the big numbers break, the one that Brady that can set his feet and move quickly and gets the ball out of his hands. That's what Burrow did very well. It was, he reminds me of Joe Montana overall when I see him play. He's not going to have gaudy numbers every week. He's had some, but he's not going to have gaudy numbers, but he, he finds a way. You know, the Chiefs, this is a team that was the favorites going in this year. They've been to four straight AFC title games. They've been to back-to-back Super Bowls. Um, I know some people aren't going to like to hear this, but this team, as much money as you're paying Patrick Mahomes and all the talent that was there and and knowing that you very well should have won, that you had home field, I mean, simply put, this season was a failure. I mean, they didn't meet expectations. I think I, I won't call it an abstract failure, but because what I will say is they were bad the first few weeks of the season. Um, you know, they were at three and four at one point. Uh, the run of the it was nine in a row they won. It was either eight or nine in a yeah. row they won at one point. Um, we saw some differences there in the team. I, I think they're they should be applauded by how much better their defense played in the second half of the season. Um, we know what that really was. That was really just one change in the defense and personnel-wise. You know, we took the we took the worst player in the history of the NFL and took him off the field finally. Um, and, well, and then adding Melvin Ingram helped too. And, and adding Melvin Ingram was absolutely a good deal. My concern about the Chiefs is offensively. And what it really is, well, there's two concerns I have with the Chiefs. One, the offensive side, it's the lack of identity. The Chiefs' identity right now, and we went hard on the Coach Bodo's podcast on Monday about this. We're going to go back and listen because I go hard on this for about 30 minutes. Um, their offensive identity is Patrick Mahomes is Michael, is Michael Jordan, and he's just going to find a way for us to win. And that doesn't work in football. He is an exceptional talent. Patrick Mahomes is exceptional. But I would argue that he's just one of four or five guys who are the best quarterbacks in the league. And on any given day, any of them can win. Mm-hmm. And so what I think that's happened is the Chiefs have said, well, we'll run these cute plays, which I've criticized very heavily all season long. And the cute plays of putting Kelsey in at quarterback and running the option out of it and, um, you know, different things to Tyreek Hill and everything else. The, these little gimmick plays are the identity of the offense. And it doesn't work when it comes to playing, you know, for, for the, to go to the Super Bowl. It's not going to work in the Super Bowl. Don't believe me what happened last year. They got the Super Bowl couldn't score a single, single touchdown. 
get to this year, and they only put together four quarters of offensive football twice. It was the two Raider games. Mm-hmm. The two Raider games. And otherwise, it was they came out like a house on fire. They led the league in first in uh, first possession points. Or they played well in the second half when the other team was tired and they ran a couple of gimmicks to get them there. That's not winning football. No. And the other thing that blew me away, I thought about this and I, and I, I researched this. I look back at their, at their record. If you take the eight teams that were left at the end, so this would have been the divisional round. And obviously the Chiefs are one of the eights. So you have seven left. The Chiefs played four of them. They were one in three in those games. The mm-hmm. only win was against the Packers in a close game. The Packers didn't have Aaron Rodgers. Right. It tells me they feasted on the bad teams. We thought that we thought four weeks into the season, we thought it was something how well they played against Cleveland. But how bad was that team? I mean, the Chiefs played well against the bad teams. They won against the bad teams. But when they had to play the good teams, they really had some problems. Mm-hmm. They kind of find an offensive identity. Whether you're a passing team or a running team, you got to find that thing. It's like if you're a golfer and all of a sudden you can't hit the ball straight anymore. You got to figure out what's wrong with your swing. Well, you got to know what your swing is in the first place. The Chiefs don't have that offensive. They have, the, they have what could be the best player of a generation, a quarterback. He might be. But what does he actually do? And I don't, I'm not trying to criticize Patrick Mahomes. Right. I'm criticizing the coaching staff. Right. In saying that, hey, what are you doing to use this weapon the best way you can? I mean, if we're going to put Patrick Mahomes in the GOAT status, if we're going to think talking about him the way teams are talking about him, people saying he's a Brady-esque style player, the difference in Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes is that Brady's career, and he changed. His team adapted. I mean, it, the first part Brady of his career, the first part of his career, he wasn't a great passer. And he became a great passer. They ran up to some stats. Then we got Randy Moss this first couple of years. You know, of course, you're going to Randy Moss, you're going to have stats. He's got Tyree Kill. And he's got Travis Kelsey. Those are great weapons. But what do you do when you don't know what you need to do? When nothing's working, what do you go back to? To me, it'll be the run game, especially with an offensive line that they put together this past season. And they didn't do that. When they do run the ball, look at the stats. They're fantastic. So, I mean, my criticism of the Chiefs this season is cleanly on Andy Reid. So much so that Andy Reid is probably the reason that uh, Eric Bieniemy does not have a head coaching job right now. Yeah. Um, Let's look at that other game, the uh, Niners and the Rams. Um. Great game for the Rams, especially the way that they came back and Stafford silencing all the doubters. I was very happy for the Rams and Stafford in particular for them to come through. But watching the Niners, uh, Garoppolo's just terrible. I mean, 
let's let's face the music here. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo is not good enough, and it is amazing that they made it as far as they did, that they were able to get to, what is it, two or three conference title games with Jimmy G, get to a Super Bowl with Jimmy G. I mean, you can't help but think how much has he actually held this franchise back, that they've been winning not because of him, but in spite of him the last few years, and that couldn't have been more evident than what it was on Sunday. Yeah, Jimmy Jimmy Garoppolo is proof that the the idea that the winningest quarterback, as far as winning the game, is not always the best quarterback. Um, I mean, he's awful. This is the same guy who threw a, a threw a touchdown, threw an interception in the Super Bowl with his eyes closed. He he ended the game effectively that with that second down play at the end of the game, just threw some shit in there, and all of a sudden it's intercepted. I mean, um, the, the wink-wink stat that I think is so, like, alarmingly funny is since Brady retired, and we'll talk about Brady here in just a second, the only quarterback in the league right now with multiple rings is Jimmy G. Oh, to be in the Super Bowl multiple times? No, with with multiple Super Bowl rings. Oh, because he got it because he was a backup. To right. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I – I, when he got the opportunity to go to San Francisco, it was like, okay, let's see what he can do. I mean, there was a lot of talk in New England. At one point, there was a talk of, we got to move on from Brady and see what we've got here in Garoppolo. He's been awful, and he has held that team back. Imagine how good they beat they had in even just a – if Derek Carr was the quarterback of the 49ers, mm-hmm. it would have been better. That's saying a lot. Yeah. You could take any, I mean, you could take a dozen, maybe even 15 or 15 or 18 quarterbacks that are better starting quarterbacks than what Jimmy Garoppolo's been. Well, then on top of that, too, it's not just that the fact that he's not that good, it's the fact of how much he's being paid. Take that money. Okay, even if you get somebody that's just a little bit better. But what if you don't have to pay them half of what he's making? Yeah, I haven't seen what his number is. I've never looked. I'd love to see him. I guess I know how to look. I'll go look. Um, when you were saying that about Mahomes earlier, look, the, the rule of thumb is you're going to have to pay quarterbacks. Now, Garoppolo is making – I mean, Garoppolo is in my Kirk Cousins argument at this point. Of every time he catches a paycheck, he's stealing money. It's worse. It's worse than Cousins. Let me, let me see here. i got to look. Let me see. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. You're about to have panic attack. His cap number is $27 million next year. That's more than so Tom Brady made this year. Yeah. Now, the, the, the norm is going to be this $40 million quarterbacks. The, the, the Patrick Mahomes is – Lamar Jackson's going to get it. Burrow's going to get it in a couple of years. Um, Dak, a few others. The norm is going to be you've got to pay these guys $40 million. Now, luckily for the 49ers, I'm looking at it now. They have 26.95 million is the cap number for Jimmy Garoppolo. They can cut him pre-June 1, take a $1.4 million dead cap hit. That'll get done. That's easy enough. That decision will be made. Uh, let me see if there's a trade option. Same thing on a trade. They don't owe him any prorated bonus, so that's good. Um, yeah, I mean, that's... He's good as gone. I'm scared as a New Orleans Saints fan, he ends up in New Orleans. Yeah. 
I'm scared to death of it. I'll put it this far. As a Saints fan, had Jameis Winston been the 49ers quarterback, are they a better team? About the same, I think. Jameis Winston doesn't make the mistakes Jimmy Garoppolo does. I mean, this year, but, I mean, I think a lot of it had to do with working with Sean Payton and such. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, Mike, it was Shanahan. I mean, Shanahan just had his – I guess he chose this guy too, though. But he's had his handcuffs with this guy for a while now. I think Shanahan and Bruce Arians are pretty equal. I think you could have – I would not be shocked if if you handed Jameis to San Fran, he has a 30 interception year, year there too. Yeah. You know the difference on Jameis's 30 interceptions though? That's how many of them were deep balls. They were 40 yards, 50 yards down the field. They're basically punts. Right. But that's what I'm saying is that I can deal I with can that. that I, can deal, in San I, I can deal with that. The problem I got with Garoppolo is that I can't even call pass plays because he can't make the right read and throw the ball to the correct guy. You know, I heard him say this week that he already knows he's getting traded, that, you know, that John Lynch has made that clear to him, but he wants to go to a winning team. I'm like, really? You don't want to go to a losing team? Hmm. No, duh. Yeah, I mean, he he's a, he's going to get some clipboard money somewhere. I mean, it, I don't know that I would want him as my backup. I mean, now, if there is humor in the world, he gets to go back to New England and go back up Mac Jones. Yeah. If there's any justice in the world, he gets to go back where he came from and just carry a clipboard for the next couple of years. You know, um, we'll get that Chase Daniel, you know, clipboard money. As far as the Rams go, here's yeah. one thing that intrigues me as far as their story of getting here. We mentioned the Stafford thing, happy for Matt that he was able to prove a lot of people wrong and such. But for years, we've heard in the National Football League that you can't win with a super team of sorts, that you can't yeah. win building a team that's not primarily based on the draft. The Rams have gone against the grain here. Look at all that talent there. Other than Cooper Cup, everyone was traded for, brought in free agency and such. They, they haven't had a first-round pick in how many ever years. They won't have a first-round pick again for a while. Yeah. Um, this goes against the norms, everything we've been taught, and they've made it work, and they've made it sustainable. The Rams have been good for a while now. Yeah, now, I mean, eventually the – you know, eventually you got to pay the piper. It's going to – Mario Ground will stop at some point. Um, but they keep getting away with it. Um I feel that you know they'll be able to keep most of their defense intact. That'll be good for a while. And then if they can keep Stafford and I don't have the salary cap situation pulled up, but I uh, they, they can keep that going. I guess it works, but it goes to show there's not just one way to build a football team. Right. And you know, we've seen like look at these two teams. These are two polar opposites of how you build a team. Teams that are the two teams that are left. You got, you know, the Rams who have unprecedentedly just traded every damn draft pick you could. Well, over the years, we've heard really since the, the mid-90s, the Jimmy Johnson era of what he did in Dallas, the way to rebuild a team was by using those draft picks and getting young players and having them in your system. And now with the salary cap, that's great because you don't have to pay those young players. You have the young quarterback, sort of what, what Seattle did with Russell Wilson early in his career. 
you see that now with Cincy and Burrow and Chase, and they get a couple of, of, of uh, uh, free agents to come in. You know, what I think is funny about this is that there is more than one way to do this. There's not just one correct way to build a team. The Rams operate like me on Madden. Yeah, which goes to show that you can, and anybody and any team can improve quickly. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, whether that's the Chiefs or anybody else, I mean, you can be a, a prince or a popper really, really quick, just a couple of injuries or a couple of added players. And sometimes a couple of young players come in and you just go, wow, that was incredible. That's what the Bengals have gotten lucky with. It's, it's going to be hard for the Bengals to keep all it together in the year four and five of Burrow. We have to finally pay him, right? You know, that kind of thing. You know, when his, when his salary cap number goes from 15 or 18 million to 45. Right. You know, what the Chiefs are having to deal with right now, with now Mahomes being 40 million on the cap. But that's going to be the norm, mm-hmm. you know? But there's no excuse for teams. And I'm not using the Chiefs as the example here, but the Chiefs are still a great team. And they still have a chance to be really, really good for quite a while. Uh, they're in no bad poor, or poor situation at all. But there's no excuse for Dallas. There's no excuse for these New York teams. There's no excuse for teams to say, well, we're rebuilding. Hey, man, a rebuild should take more than two or three years in the NFL. Mm -hmm. However you want to do it, whether it's through free agency or the draft, you can do it quickly. But you got to commit to it and go. And you can't be wrong at the quarterback position. Mm -hmm. Um, Tom Brady retires this week, makes it official. Um, there's a lot of ways we go at this, but one thing that comes to mind too is that he had said several years ago, I'll retire when I suck. And Tom Brady really said was, you know, F, this is taking too long. I'm going to go ahead and retire now. I mean, <laughs> you know, did he win the Super Bowl this year? No, but coming right. off a of Super Bowl, leading the league in passing yards and touchdowns this year. He retired on top. I don't care that he didn't get a ring this year, yeah. but I mean, that's as good as it gets, isn't it? Yeah. I, you know, you could have said that Tom Brady would have retired. I, I thought he might have retired at the season last season. Um, and, and the reason being is you go to, you go over, you leave New England, you go to Tampa, you win the ring. Hey, you proved, hey, you, I can do this without Bill Belichick. But then he wanted to run it back. Let's see if you can win it. You got to defend it. I get that. But I think this season was, okay, let's go out there and defend it. And then I think the numbers came because he kind of had to to carry that team. Um, you know, I suspected, and I told you a couple weeks ago, I, when I picked the Rams over the Bucks, I said, I think the Rams will win the game. I think it's Brady's last game. And it wasn't because I was a clairvoyant. It was because I saw through the season that it was getting hard to carry that team. And everything going on in that offense, players getting hurt and – and everything they had to do, you know, at some point you just say, hey, whether, there's not that many battles I've got to win anymore. I mean, he's won them all. And he's been great. I mean, he's one of the greatest of all time. And, and maybe he is the greatest. I, I'm just personally got to call one person the greatest. Um, but he's incredible. He's a credit to himself and his team and the league, really. But I think you're half right in that it's, you know, yeah, he was going out on top. I. I don't think that he should look down on this season and have any regrets because it's not an unsuccessful season. That team was not as good as it was the year before. 
Um, you know, at the end of last season, they were hot. I mean, they were donut grease hot for those last, you know, six weeks and then into the playoffs. He did that perfectly. This season, they got hit with injuries. I mean, he had weapons getting hurt left and right. Everybody was getting hurt in that offense. Every running back, every wide receiver, Brock, everybody. And it's just really hard for any quarterback to carry that weight. Brady did it really, really well. And I think he just said, you know what? I got the money. I've got everything else. What do I need to do this again for? You know, I joked on my podcast, hey, I'm 46 years old. It hurts to go out of bed some days. And granted, I'm no athlete like Tom Brady. He'll be 45 in August. He ain't playing in the NFL at 45. I mean, that's just, that was part of it too. I, if he can't, and if anyone can, he could. But it, that's a physical toll that it's going to take on him to keep doing that. And it's not worth it at this point. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Um, what a career for uh, for Tom Brady of of, of all the He's things. Had the, I, I'll never call one person the GOAT. I just don't believe in that. I don't right. believe there's one greatest of all time. Uh, I mean, he's in the argument. I've seen five quarterbacks that I think are all in that little category. But what I'll say is I think he's had the best career. His career has been great. He was, you know, as a young guy, he was a guy who didn't make mistakes. They, you know, didn't run the offense through him, but he was a don't make mistakes and we'll take care of you. Then they evolved to it was the big numbers, Tom Brady, and they won while doing that. And then it became the, okay, what do we have to do week to week to win? And he won. So, I mean, he's had a great, great career. It's almost like he's had three phases of his career. And, well, and it's, what amazes me, too, is that, you know, we, we've talked about so many things over what Tom Brady's done in his career of, you know, whether it was overcoming from being a sixth-round pick to the next era where he had to be the leader of the Patriots or, yeah. you know, the – the, the next era of wit, you know, going to Tampa and doing it without Belichick, you know, proving his age and stuff. One thing, too, on top of all of that, uh, you talk about winning the PR. Uh, Tom Brady was not well liked <laughs> uh, among this nation two, three years ago. You know, yes. Tom Brady was a lot of people held to Flategate and Spygate and playing for the Patriots and Belichick against him. You could argue right now Tom Brady at this very moment is the most popular athlete in America, and we have never said that about Tom Brady before. No, I, I, that's a really good point. I think that, um, you know, he's never been as popular as he is right now. And it goes to say, you know, he's done a lot to get past Deflategate and everything else. I think people see through some of the Deflategate BS too. But, you know, I, I, think, I think it also helped that he didn't play his whole career in New England. Mm -hmm. I think his last two years in Tampa got him away from the evil empire in a way, got him away from, you know, the, the evil, you know, Belichick. And you can say, well, see, he is a good guy. He's actually the guy wearing the white hat, not the, the underlord to the evil Belichick. Well, he's been know, great on social media. Yeah. He, I, I think what's interesting about Tom Brady moving forward is what is he going to do next? And I really think he's going to try to be the, take his TB12 and everything involved with his brand into the, being like the next Jordan brand. This guy is going to become a billionaire. Mm -hmm. you know, he never got the money. Like he never made as much money playing football as his contemporaries. 
Drew Brees made more money than him in salary. Peyton Manning made more in salary in those years. He you know, sacrificed Brady, a lot. He did. He sacrificed a lot in the name of the salary cap and the team over these years. Even in he Tampa, didn't he didn't Tampa. take as much as he could have. No, he was taking $25 million. I mean, that's $15 million less than Dak Prescott makes. I mean, he could have gone down there and wrote his own check. And there were pl- plenty of places that would have given him a blank check. He chose not to because he wanted to play with guys that wanted to win. He he brought the Patriot way, if you will, to, to, to Tampa. You could argue that the Patriot way is what they're doing in, in L.A. with the Rams in many ways. You know, these guys are all kind of coming together to play. Um, but if you look at it, I want to see what he does next with his career. I think he's going to be very successful in whatever endeavor he goes into. I don't think it's going to be television. I don't think we'll see him be an announcer or anything like that. Um, it's going to be business-wise, and he's going to make a ton of money. He's going to end up owning a team at one point if he wants to. It, it's going to be pretty fantastic. He's going to be the biggest celebrity of American athletes when it's all said and done. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Brian Flores, where do we start from here on the uh, Flores situation? What? Where does it intrigue you first um there's a lot to unpack here i don't even know we have enough time to unpack all of it um i think of it two ways one i think of it just in the brian flores way first thing first you and i have spoken so highly of brian flores over the last two years we've been on here we both talked about how much we respect him we like him we think he's a great coach i've gone as far as to say i think you've agreed with me of all of Belichick's assistants, he's the best head coach of all of them. Yeah. And in the Patriot era, not Nick Saban, obviously. Yeah. I mean, we, yeah, in the NFL. I'm sorry. I should say in the NFL. Yeah. Because Nick Saban's on his own level there. But if you look at the firing of Brian Flores, I didn't understand it when it happened. I was yeah. like, I don't get it. Why? Why are you firing Brian, Brian Flores? You're not going to fire for that one and seven stretch, are you? Because he went seven and one at the end. And if you had a quarterback, he'd be really good. A quarterback he didn't want. He didn't want. And they, they got him a quarterback, and he did find out. And they did find out that, you know, two is not the quarterback they want. So you handcuffed him this season. He's in a division with New England and Buffalo. You know, look at what Buffalo's done. They're now the big dog in that division, seemingly, right now. New England's always going to be New England as long as Belichick is there, you know, and it's like, okay, well, you've got a tough division, but this guy made what the Dolphins were a joke when he got there. And he had a lot of input on building that roster with young players who came in and respected what he was doing and were on the same page with him. And then you hear that ownership wanted to pay him a hundred grand a game to lose games. Mm-hmm. Um. Tanking has never worked in any sport. It's never worked. I mean, the rules will get changed. I mean, it's just, it's never, ever worked. And it's not going to work this time. And and so, you know, the Dolphins deserve to, to get in a lot of trouble here. I now look at the consequences of it. So, one, I think that Brian Flores clearly has a huge lawsuit here, if, if for nothing else, for wrongful termination. But I was reading an interesting article today in the Houston Chronicle 
about African-American coaches and how the Rooney rule hasn't really helped them. Um, the quote I heard, I want to grab this quote here. This is great. 101 years of the NFL, there's been 19 black head coaches. And both of them this year that were fired were both yeah. wrongfully fired. You would think so. Yeah. And and of the 19, I think it was Hugh Jackson who had that comment, the 19. And Hugh Jackson said, I got two of those jobs. You know, I mean, it's um, – I, I think I've seen a lot – we're going to talk a lot about this in my podcast on Friday because um, we're going to bring – Ellen's going to come on. She's an attorney. And we're going to talk about – this could lead to class action lawsuit. You already know Hugh Jackson wants to get involved in this. Um, there's some other things going on here. I think this is a reaction. I think it's a, I just opens up so many cans of worms for the NFL. It, it goes to show there's still an old boys network. There really is. These same coaches are coming around. These same guys are getting jobs. Um, I had the list earlier of, tell me if any of these names really make you think, Wow, that's a great hire. Nathaniel Hackett is the new coach of the Broncos. You know, I mean, okay. maybe, I'm not excited about that. Um, Matt Eberfluss or Eberfluss is the new Bears coach. No, no everyone not exciting wanted, at all. Everyone wanted now from everything I've read about him, he's actually a really great coach. I've read nothing but good things about. Him. Did you see the Colts' defense this year? That wasn't anything to brag about. Well, if you look at where they started and where they ended with him, I would tend to disagree. But we'll talk about that later. Um, that was a team in the franchise where everyone was calling for, you've got to get someone in here who can work with a young quarterback. They go get a defensive coach. The Raiders hired Josh McDaniels. Now, this is the one name out of the four hires we've had so far. Josh McDaniels did a poor job in, in Denver. And the biggest thing when he was the Denver head coach, he tied himself to Tim Tebow. Handpicked him. That's the guy he wanted. Yeah, he, 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 he handpicked him. And he, he tied himself to that. And that and can be held chased off Brendan Marshall and Jay Cutler in the process. Yeah. Yes. And then the one hire I think was a good hire, Brian Dayball going to the Giants. I think that's a bad place for Brian Dayball, but I think it's a good hire for the Giants. But they still, as we're recording this, Harbaugh is not taking the Minnesota job as we thought. I just saw that too. I was going to say something to you. Harbaugh is not taking the Minnesota Vikings job. So, you know, there it doesn't mean you have to have a sexy name as the coach. But if those are the coaches that are getting jobs right now, then how come Brian Flores doesn't have a job? How does Eric Bieniemy not have a job? Other than Andy Reid really haven't really hurt him this season, I think. How does D'Amico Ryan's not have a job? Todd Bowles is a hell of a coach who should be already have a head coaching job somewhere. I would argue Byron Leftwich should already be the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, you know, that's five guys right there. And here's the bad thing. None of them are going to get jobs. There are still jobs open. New Orleans is still open. Miami's still open. Jacksonville's still open. Houston's still open. And Minnesota, they've got someone now, looks like, is now the front runner. But none of those five guys are getting any of those five jobs. It means that the Rooney rule is lip service. 
I mean, New Orleans is going to hire Dennis Allen. They're going to promote from within. But they went and interviewed Byron Leftwich. I think they interviewed um, um, Todd Bowles as well. Because you have to, because the Rooney Rule. You couldn't just, you know, promote somebody to the head coaching job. The Rooney Rule itself comes from a great place, an idea of let's help these young African-American coaches get jobs that are deserving. It comes from a place of good, of goodness. But the NFL has really poor, piss poorly executed it. And now the, the, the chickens are coming home to roost. Mm-hmm. And this is this Brian Flores thing is going to be huge. The NFL has to get out in front of this quickly because now it really makes it look petty the last couple of years of the, the signs of end racism and stop hate and everything else they've been doing. It, it has to be more than just the players. Right. It has to be the front office. It has to be the owners. You can't it has to be the make owners the fun as well. three points larger on the end racism. You no, actually you we both saw that tweet. Yeah. You know, this is the same group of owners where Stephen Ross is trying to, you know, tell, tell his coach to lose games. When the players were revolting, if you will, and saying, hey, we want to see this stop, you know, the stop hate and this end racism stuff. Jerry Jones goes out there and tells my guys, you ain't going to kneel. You know, they're, they're a bunch of old white guys who don't care. They've just got a free printing press. They paid for a printing press, and that's all they care about. They got an antitrust exemption granted to them by Congress. They're a legal monopoly. They get stadium funding and public out of public money. They get tax benefits from owning teams. These are all things that we've given these owners, and the owners aren't giving it back, not to us as the fans and not to the people in the front office and not the coaches. In a league where 58% of the players are African-American, we got one African-American head coach. That's a shame. That's a sh- it's shameful. It's just flat out shameful. And as a gray-haired, near 50-year-old white guy, I'm outraged. How do you think those guys feel? And I stand 100% with Brian Flores on this. Because if you'd offer, if, if if I've been Brian Flores and I'm offered a hundred grand a, a game to take games, I'm gonna say no. Because we saw what happened to Hugh Jackson, and now we're finding out they were trying to pay him the same kind of thing. The numbers weren't the same, but you know they ruined his career. He's coaching at Grambling. Hugh Jackson's a better coach than coaching at Grambling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just it, to me, it's shameful. And I'm going to go very hard on this. We're going to talk a lot about this in the Coach Bonus podcast on Friday. Listen in. We're going to go hard and we're going to hit the legal stuff on it, too. Ellen's going to do a great job with that. So last thing um, yeah. before we go, uh, National Signing Day, the yeah. second version of it was uh, Wednesday. <laughs> Texas A&M gets the number one recruiting class. Um, Jimbo's gotten better each year at A&M. But eventually, with these recruiting classes, and, and he's doing a good job, I get that. They have to take that next step at some point, right? Yeah, you know, I, well, I always make the joke every year that when someone, you know, this team had the, the best recruiting class, I go, do they get a ring for that? Um, but at the same time, 
I think now, yeah, yes. To answer your question about Jimbo Fisher, first off, is yes, he needs to do more with what he's got. Now. I mean, he's got a situation where they've got money. They want him to. They want him to be. They want to be someone they're not, and they and they expect it now. There's an expectation level. Going to actual national signing day, this is a little bit overrated now because of the transfer portal. Mm-hmm. And now you got players that, yeah, I mean, AM might have the number one recruiting class this year, but who's to say who's there one year from now? So it's a whole different breed of cat now. I mean, it's like we have free agency in college football. So I find the I find the whole thing very, very interesting. And uh I do think AM needs to come hard now and, and do it. They, they're gonna have to be something now because now they're adding. You have them in the in the division with that with LSU with with Alabama, and then here comes Texas and here comes Oklahoma. They're coming to your conference, and you well, might have one or both in your in your division. Yeah, the the other thing that I, I look for in these recruiting rankings each year too is how did new head coaches fare with having to jumble together a class in the eleventh hour. Yeah, And you go down the line here, um, you know, starting at number seven, uh, you know, there at at, uh, at Notre Dame. Uh, now, granted, you know, their, their new head coach was already on staff and such, but yeah. a very good job to salvage that class. Oklahoma finishes top ten with their new head coach, Brent Venables. Um you know, and, and and he took a little different route than Lincoln Riley did on some of the players that he recruited as a, that OU wasn't looking at. They lost some guys, but they gained some guys too. I thought Brent did a good job. And then what about Mizzou finishing 11th here? Now, <laughs> they're gambling on the long term, but as you mentioned, you know, there's free agency every year in college football. Now, Mizzou, it looks like they did a good job. But if they have another seven or eight win football team, how many of these guys are really staying by year three? Yeah, that's the problem is that, I mean, how many of them are going to stay if they're not playing or not getting the playtime they want and those sort of things? It Now you can leave. You can leave any year and you're gone. And it, it's, yeah, I think it's a whole different animal, and you're always recruiting now. You're recruiting a player now, and you're going to keep recruiting that player until the end of time. So, um, yeah, it's just until you get them over. Um, Lincoln Riley brings Caleb Williams to USC. No real surprise there. Um, and, and Mario Williams, one of OU's top receivers, he's coming over as well. Die the uh, all Pac-12 first team running back from Oregon's also coming. Looks yeah. like Lincoln Riley. There, there's no reason why USC can't compete right away. This this isn't going to take very long. No, they need to compete right away. I mean, they're going into a place where Lincoln Riley should be able to put up some players in there. And again, there's just no excuse for that. And you're in LA, so you got some NIL money. I mean. This is what the expectation was for Lincoln Rally. They better be a top 10 team this year. Plain and simple. They should be really playing for a national championship. They should be in the playoff. That should be the expectation of USC now. You think they can do it? Um, I think they're helped that they're probably the most, they're probably the best team in their conference. 
I mean, with Nelva Cristobal leaving and leaving Oregon, you know, I think that they give us. It looks pretty good. Yeah. I, I mean, the road there is kind of clear, you know. It's like going right out to the snowplow once it comes through. Um, Lincoln Riley did say, uh, you know, shortly after announcing Caleb Williams coming in, that he wants to see NIL have some guardrails in place, some stricter guidelines of some sorts. Kind of real rich uh, coming in from Lincoln Riley, don't you think? Yeah. Uh, of course, that's what they're going to say because everybody wants to. Everybody wants to control the narrative on NIL. Everybody wants to have, everyone's going to want their say, especially coaches, because coaches are the ones who are losing the power in college football. Uh, because before now, the, co- the coaches were the ones who had all the power. And if a player didn't play, you know, the coaches were at the, they were at their coach's mercy. Now they're not at the coach's mercy because they don't like where they're at. They can go somewhere else one year later, you know, even a semester later. So, yeah, I, of course the coaches are going to say we want some changes to the NIL rules. It's going to all be um, very interesting, I think, as we move forward to see how teams adjust and what teams do. I mean, we got coaching staffs that are now hiring coaches to try to help players get NIL deals. You know, we're going to see stuff like this. I mean, this is going to be amazing. I had a real laugh happen. when I heard Nick Saban this week say – that they are not going to be offering NIL deals to recruits. That he said that they've never paid anybody to go to Alabama ever. I'm like, hmm. Yeah, well, <laughs> your quarterback made more than anybody else in an NIL deal. So I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll call bull on that. But, um, you know, and maybe it's not the coaches, you know, having the deal wrapped up, but they're going to get them involved with business people locally. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, I mean, whether that's, you know, the Applebee's that's got, you know, the, the fullback gets a gig or whatever, it's, it's something, you know, it can be the, the local bookstore, you know, or merchandise shop selling, you know, doing an autograph sign. Yeah, you know, you're going to see stuff like that. And they're going to do those based on relationships with coaches many times. Yeah. Speaking of Applebee's, I think the Chiefs deserve to lose for letting that Applebee's guy perform at halftime. Hey man, I'm telling you that that was that was the killer. We haven't, you know, that's the reason they lost. But yeah, it went all downhill after that. Anybody that likes that song, I said this at home. You're gonna get a kick out of this, Tyler. So I'm at home. The commercial comes on, and I said, God, I hate that damn song. And I said, anybody that likes that song is just a moron. Excuse my life. Exactly what I said. And my wife looks at me and goes, I like that song. And I just went, well, I'm standing by what I say here, baby. <laughs> Good luck on the divorce. It's yeah, been, yeah. It's been nice knowing you both. Sooner than later, huh? I'm just not going to wake up tomorrow. That's what it's going to be. Okay. Um, no, I, yeah, I, that Applebee's thing, that was bad. That was poor planning. You know, again, the speakers it, behind the CBS guys? Right oh. behind the CBS. I mean, what? It's like the Chiefs are purposefully not looking at details. Whether it's the coaching staff, the on-the-field staff between in the halftime, and that's I mean, saying something. Would all rather listen to Boomer Esiason than the oh, Alphabet's guy. Yeah, Boomer Esiason with it being the Bengals playing too. Oh my God, I don't find Boomer to be as much of a blowhard as Phil Simms though. Yeah, 
Phil Sims to me is the worst. I I rather watch the Jerry Sandusky shower tapes than watch anything with Phil Sims. That's a good way to end today's segment. <laughs> Bo, let's uh, get out of here. Have a, a good week, my friend. Check it out. Coach Bo knows podcast out every Monday and Friday on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Check it out. You'll be glad you did. Bo, thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you next week. Hey, thank you, Tyler. Have a great week. A couple more things before we wrap up today's show. Time for today's Big 12 basketball breakdown. And I got to tell you, the Big 12 SEC challenge was just a disaster for the Big 12 conference over the weekend. We told you last week that we really liked the Big 12 chances, that the matchups looked pretty favorable for the Big 12. And, you know, we, we thought so, but at the end of the day, there were some unexpected upsets of sorts. You know, I, I didn't think that Kentucky was just going to blow the doors off KU. I thought KU would win, but I didn't think that it was going to be a blowout either way. And that game just wasn't even close. KU didn't even belong on the same floor as Kentucky. And, you know, what's funny to me is, Tom, that, you know, the, these KU people and some of the you know, optimist folks out there will say that, you know, hey, for this Kansas team, now is a – that's the wake-up call that they needed. Now that they can turn things around and, you know, they've seen their weaknesses and that they can go from here, they look good against Iowa State. They did it without Ochai. Ochai Baji, the uh, Big 12's leading scorer and a uh, player of the year candidate, uh, they looked really good without him getting a uh, top 20 win on the road against Iowa State on Tuesday night. We know that Bill Self is really good coming off the losses. With all that being said, I mean, that's that's a homer take to say that's what they that's what they needed. I mean, I have seen, you know, a couple of times where the Big 12 SEC challenge was a breakthrough win for Kansas and they turned their season around a whole other course from there where they didn't lose from that point forward until the NCAA tournament. So, you know, if you're using the Kentucky thing, can it be a turnaround point? It could be, but to say that's what they needed of some sorts. I mean, that, that to me is ridiculous. We've already, we already knew what this team's flaws and weaknesses were. All the Kentucky game did was just, uh, reinforce those. I don't think that is going to be the thing they needed per se is to get blown the doors off by Kentucky at home. That to me is a little absurd. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, we can talk about it all day of, you know, you know, we, I mean, Joan, we talked about it last week, you know, we talked about Baylor losing, you know, and, and sometimes the teams need a loss, right. Um, to kind of put things in perspective, you don't need necessarily a blowout loss. Yes, it could change things, but we already knew what this KU team is capable of, and we knew what they're about. That uh, a win over Kentucky would have done a lot more than a loss, right? So, yeah, they do get the kicked out of them. There are still things you can take away from it, but it's not like they needed it, right? They already right. had that. Maybe I don't want to hear that. The same crowd that's saying that they needed that loss would have been the same crowd that said they're going to win the national championship if they beat Kentucky. You know what I mean? percent. Oh, it's the Jose take. Yes, the, it is the Jose take. That just might be a new term on this show, the Jose uh, take. If it works out for you, great. We're going to win it. If you lose, well, it's still going to work out for us. Right, exactly. Um, how about Texas? Texas, uh, you know, they, they hosted 
Rick Barnes back for a very emotional night on Saturday night. They pulled away that win. And then they had the whole opposite of sorts on Tuesday where they went from hosting their former coach and what was you know, an emotional night and a big deal for UT to have Rick Barnes back. And they honored him to then going to Lubbock for Chris Beard's first trip back to uh, Texas Tech since leaving. And the buildup for this game, this felt like the Super Bowl for Texas Tech. The night before, the Tech fans, the students surround Chris Beard's bus, and they have to leave the facility. And we hear rumors about an altercation that occurred the night before with Mark Adams, Texas Tech's head coach and Chris Beard, and then all the, the boos and the, uh, the, the treatment, all the F-bombs galore. I mean, you didn't have to turn up your TV very loud to hear the crowd give the unfriendly reaction to uh, Chris Beard there. And Texas Tech ultimately dominates and wins that game by 13. Texas Tech, a very good team. We've talked about that, how, how well that they've played. And then Mark Adams has done a very good job. But that was an important win for Texas Tech. I don't think there was any way that Chris Beard's team was going to go in there and win that game at Texas Tech. That game just meant more. I mean, Texas Tech, they might get eliminated before the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. I mean, they look good on paper. They look like a team that potentially could make the Final Four. But, you know, I think this is a year, Tom, where if they got eliminated the first weekend, they're probably sitting there with that small mentality of, well, we beat Chris Beard when he came back to Texas Tech. That's how much this game meant for, for the Red Raiders. Uh, you are 100% right because it's a smaller, you know, it's tech, tech is not a huge university. It's not a big name. Sure, they have a good basketball program and meh, football program. And then other than that, you're, you're out there in the middle of Texas in the middle of nowhere, right? Um, for them, it meant – you know, it, it, I don't know, Jones, you tell me it was, was it um, a KD level of betrayal for Chris Beard? Oh, it was that. And then some, because he went to their biggest rival. Right. He didn't even go out of the conference. Right. Right. So for, you know, just to go, I don't know, four hours away in the same state, in the same conference. Sure. They want to, they want to beat his ass. I don't blame him. If, if Gundy went to, I mean, if Gundy went to freaking OU, or not that he would, but if Gundy went to OU, or let's say Gundy went to Baylor, oh my gosh, OSU would have a fit, right? Yeah, and you would you would want to beat us. This is not the first time Chris Beard is going to come to to Lubbock and get shit on, right? I I think it's going to happen for a little bit. I, I would say three total seasons. Like oh, he's going to hear it, right? Right. I mean, I get. I don't. What do you feel about this, rightfully so or no? I mean, uh, to an extent, you know, um, I thought Chris Beard was going to be at Texas Tech for a long time. He had turned down some good jobs to stay. But at the end of the day, he was still an alum of UT. Lubbock is an awful place to live. He had a chance to go to Austin. (laughs) Texas has been this sleeping giant of sorts in college basketball where – they literally are just a head coach away from being a top 10 program there. And they got a brand new arena coming in. I mean, uh, I see both sides of it. I understand the frustrations of Texas Tech fans, but I totally get why Chris Beard left and went back home to his alma mater too. Um, It made for fascinating television. 
I mean, the fact this game was on ESPN two was just absurd um, to me because it was, it was the most intriguing storyline we'll see all this week. I mean, this week, Tom, you got Duke taking on North Carolina. Kansas is going to play Baylor. Um, but this, to me, was the biggest game of the week, was Texas Tech and Texas and all that happened there and, and the storylines that went with it. To me, that was fascinating. And if Mark Adams continues to do a good job at Texas Tech like he's done this year, um, this, to me, will be as good as it gets for this Texas and Texas Tech rivalry. When Texas leaves for the SEC, I hope they find a way to keep playing Texas Tech because that was just awesome. I mean, yeah, like, I mean, you got to keep someone. I don't know. Might have not necessarily been a rivalry before, but it has to be now, right? As long as Chris Beard is there. Yeah. Because, you know, I don't think he wanted to be the enemy, right? You never want to be the enemy to your old team unless you have been done wrong. And I don't think he did tech wrong. I mean, he brought tech to the front page. Right. Right. So he doesn't want to be that problem. I'm sure he like thinks about it and doesn't want to be that. And and Chris Beard doesn't seem like the guy that embraces it to become the villain. He, from what I've seen, doesn't look like that type of guy. Looks like he shakes hands and goes on. Doesn't look like he has no reason to hate tech tech. Really? The only reason they have to hate him is because he went to another conference foe four hours away, four hours East. Right, right. He went to their rival. He went to one of the schools that's leaving for the SEC. And so it was right. a conference, can't they shit, right? Right. Yeah. But, and yeah, this has to be why he's there. They have to play. Like, it's good for television. I mean, right now, with as hostile as that was, for the time being, the Texas and Texas. Do you not love the hostility, me. though? I love the hostility. For the I time mean, being, Tom, we'll, we'll end on this before we get to our town full reset. I would argue that when you factor in the current circumstances, this at the present moment is the best rivalry in basketball in the Big 12 Conference is Texas and Texas Tech, based on what we saw. No other rivalry in this conference was doing what we saw of the events that led up to this game on Tuesday night. That was a unique experience for the time being. This is as good as it gets in this league. You know, I think you're right. It just, you, I mean, it was, especially if you're a fan of hostility, right? Yes. And I, like am, if, I you're love fan of, if you're a fan of savagery and just, uh, okay, kind of like, okay, this is what we're doing. You got to be a fan of it. Oh my gosh. I mean, it's like, I don't know about you, but it it gets it gets me going a little bit. Yeah, you know it will, and then it finds me. It's nothing against Chris Beard, everything against Texas, but nothing against Chris Beard. It gets me going a little bit, right? It, it I'm rooting for Tech, hundred percent. Yeah, I'm glad that they and won. Maybe because I'm jaded because Kawhi Leonard left the Spurs, kind of like that. You know, not not like that, but. You know, it's the same way when the Spurs play the Clippers. Like, we don't we don't shake hands with Kawhi Leonard. Like, yeah, you were here and you might have won Finals MVP. We don't shake hands with you. Right. We're just we're out to beat your ass. Um, last thing on the Big Twelve before we move on to our Tom Fulry story, real quick. 
um, looking at this Saturday's games. Oklahoma, if they want to keep alive for the tournament, got to beat Oklahoma State this week. Texas Tech and West Virginia. Um, Tech, with a big win against Texas, I think they'll breathe a little bit, but it's a must-win game for West Virginia for the tournament's sake. Iowa State and Texas, both teams are good, in good shape, but that certainly can help seeding. That game does. Baylor and Kansas, both teams competing for a one seed and a Big 12 title, and they need a bounce-back game. have not played their best basketball as of late. Huge game there. And then K-State and TCU. TCU looks like a tournament team. K-State, one game above 500 at this point. They're fighting for their lives. You know, every game matters here. What a huge weekend of, of games on Saturdays. I mean, there's several must-win games. Uh, Baylor-Kansas is the most intriguing here, but um, some, some sneaky good matchups, in particular that Tech-West Virginia game, Tom. Right, yeah, and then you mentioned TCU, too. Were they a tournament team four weeks ago? Um, I mean, yes, but they didn't have – quality non-conference wins they went through an easy slate now they've proven they just beat OU right OU's not a bad team TCU and I'm I'm saying I'm I'm not trying to disqualify TCU I'm more so rooting for them not in a way of like hoping they win but more so of they've been playing quality so far they they, they found they've almost beat Oklahoma State they beat LSU in the uh, SEC Big 12 Challenge. They beat Iowa right. State. They're starting to find themselves. They are. I mean, then it's the right time, too. Yeah. It's the right time. Final segment before we get out of here today. Time for our top full story of the week. Tom, where shall we head to this time? Jones, we're going to the track, baby. We are going to the track. Um, it's been a while, I feel like, since we've done a NASCAR type Tom Fullery. So it's about we're about due for one. Shake and bake, baby. Um, shake and bake. And that's what this guy probably should have told him. Uh, I don't think it mentions in the article, but they should have mentioned what kind of car he was driving because this article comes from Outkick and article title is Wrong Way Driver, DUI suspect, uses wild Dale Earnhardt ghost defense. Las Vegas man no, um, no, you know, no secret to DUIs. Las Vegas man who is being accused of intentionally driving, intentionally, you know, he got a DUI, but intentionally driving the wrong way down a highway and causing multiple crashes. That's Jones. You've played the NASCAR games. I've intentionally turned around and went the other way. You have to at some point in those games. That's that's how I play that game. And then you get a black flag, and it's worth I'm going for the record caution. I'm going for the record cautions, right? Yes. And I'm not trying to wreck into them. I'm trying to make them wreck into themselves and then miss the wreck. Right. I'm going for the record number of cautions so I can still finish the race. Yes. Um, Causing multiple crashes using a wild defense that hinges on the man being told to do it by the ghost of Dale Unhart. Dale Earnhardt. Daniel praise Dale. Yeah, you got to. You know, let me see your butthole. Um, Daniel Asa, 51, who faces charges from ranging from attempted murder DUI and battery with a deadly weapon. Uh, He's going to court 
I guess this would be this would have been this past Tuesday, considering this would have been January 28th. He told the court that the ghost of Dale Earnhardt ordered him to drive the wrong way on the freeway. Why? So Asif could get the mayor's attention to bring NASCAR back to Vegas. The prosecution says Asif was high on meth and heroin while driving the wrong way on I-215. He says that was for Dale Earnhardt, the intimidator. Told me to open the racetrack for NASCAR, <laughs> right? The, the 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 fact that he adds intimidator, you know he's a fan, right? Told me to o- open that for the racetrack for NASCAR. Marathon for twice a year. Asif reportedly told the court they want to use that as a Grand Prix racetrack to open it. Wrong way backward. Quick check of Asif's social media channels. He goes by this is this is the best part, Jones. He goes by Danny Vegas. Danny Vegas, okay. Danny Vegas, we got to get him on the show. Shows the subject who posted rambling diatribes and 10 bartending jobs in his bio. And he shows a picture of him. Is that a Dragon Ball Z shirt? I can't tell. This guy is a hoot. He's got jean shorts on that are past his knee. Um, in a jailhouse interview Tuesday with KSNV... Asif claims he was discharged from a mental health facility Friday just before he drove the wrong way down I-215. I just remember, this this is a quote, I just remember, I don't know, I was kind of going that way, and I could change my direction, or I couldn't change my direction. I was honking the horn, the bright lights on, and I was wobbling back and forth to let people know. Well, um, Jones, that's the article. Uh, you can't invoke Dale Earnhardt Sr. for this. That's the tomfoolery. Oh, uh, you know, you can invoke him chugging a beer. You can invoke him. I don't. I mean, I don't know. You can invoke him having sex. I don't care what you do. You can't invoke him dry, intentionally trying to cause people to wreck. Right. I mean. You, there's a contingency of people that say that when Dale Earnhardt died, that was when God died. And you can't put that on Dale Sr. If he's got that type of power, like, he's not doing that. Right. You know, if, if you're going fast, see, you can invoke Dale Earnhardt if you're running from the cops. Right. You know, I, I feel like that would be appropriate. You can't invoke him if you're literally driving the wrong way down a highway trying to cause injury. That's not Dale Earnhardt. No. Dale Earnhardt is running from the cops. So if you're running from the cops, fine. You want to get on Facebook Live and tell them you're on a high-speed chase? You want to invoke number three? I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it. I hope you can get away if you're running from the cops and you invoke Dale Earnhardt Sr. <laughs> you know, as long as you haven't murdered somebody, but if you're robbing the bank and you invoke Dale Earnhardt and you haven't hurt anybody, do it. Right? I hope you get away. But you can't intentionally just drive the wrong way and invoke Dale Earnhardt. The, the, you know, if you want to drive the wrong way, invoke like Bobby or Terry Labonte. Right. Right, like, don't invoke the god of NASCAR. Invoke like, invoke like a sub god, like Juan Pablo Montoya for hitting the jet dryer. You know, right? Yeah, exactly. You gotta. Yeah, I don't know if if you want to do that, you gotta invoke Danica or somebody. 
Don't invoke Dale Earnhardt. Are you kidding me? Like, you want to drive the wrong way? That is blasphemy. If you want to drive the wrong way, listen to this. If you want to drive the wrong way and you're on meth, you better invoke A.J. Allmendinger. <laughs> right <laughs> and if, 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 if you want to you know if you want to drive the wrong way and stop in at the Whataburger on the wrong exit you better invoke David Starr <laughs> <laughs> right don't you dare invoke Dale Earnhardt you son of a bitch like do you want all NASCAR fans after you come I mean, on Dale Senior, that's sacred. You don't touch Dale Senior. Dale Senior, you don't touch sacred, right? <laughs> and it's like, damn it, you Terry Labonte son of a bitch! Don't I mean, you do it. You could even Boy, get away caught. with. You could even get away with this, maybe on Jeff Gordon or Tony Stewart or Jimmy Johnson, but don't you dare touch. Well, he didn't kill anybody, so he, he didn't kill anybody, so he couldn't do Tony Stewart. Oh, 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 oh man, have we gone too far? <laughs> you know, when they announced during that NFL game a couple weeks ago that Tony Stewart was going to be called the Daytona 500, about every other tweet was Tony Stewart, didn't he kill that guy? <laughs> right? It's like, uh, listen, the Chili Bowl was last month. <laughs> <laughs> Golly, don't make me pull out a Kyle Kyle Larson. I don't want to have to talk about Axe. Do I I don't think I can get away with talking about Axe Larson. The defending champion, Axe Larson. Video game champion Axe Larson. <laughs> 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 Hell is going to be a strange place for me, Tyler Jones. Oh, uh, <laughs> you won't be there with Dell Senior. I can tell you that. I mean, when Dell Senior died, Dell Senior might send me to hell. As long as you know, right? And instead of doing three Hail Marys, I got to go. I got to go from zero to sixty in less than five seconds. From I don't know seventy first and seventy first in Harvard to. You know, seventy first and Sheridan. I got to get there, and 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 you know, it's a speed race, it's a time trial to get into Dale Earnhardt Senior Heaven. Dale Earnhardt Senior Heaven. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm I'm, I, I'm doing the race. Hell, I'm trying to do the praise Dale. In Dale Earnhardt Senior Heaven, everybody wears Wranglers, drinks Budweiser, and all the cars are serviced by Goodrich. Exactly. It's it's you know, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit of of NASCAR be like Dale Earnhardt Sr. Um, yeah, you know, yeah, well, yeah, and then like maybe like uh, Alan Jackson way down yonder on the Chattahoochee. <laughs> that, that's like the NASCAR version of how great they are. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Boy, there's hell is going to be a special place for me. When I go to Daytona in a couple weeks, there's a Dale Sr. statue outside the is there? I feel like I'm going to have to do like pay some respects for the sins that we've committed on this show for just you're going to have to you're going to have to pour Sunoco fuel over the top you're going to have to take a you know you're going to have to like wipe it on your forehead or something you, you need like uh, you need whatever you know whatever it is you need like 91 octane <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh! That's the only way you're gonna make it. Oh, I you think... gotta, you gotta, 
you got a, you know, um, you got to ambush Kyle Busch. You know, you got to you got to jack his car up so he doesn't win. Right. Kyle Kyle Busch is the fallen angel of NASCAR. We all know that three car is really about Austin Dillon, right? <laughs> yeah, he had Dale Earnhardt that day. He's that, been raising Dale and praising Dale ever since. And that that twenty four that doesn't belong to William Byron, you know. Hey, of course not. <laughs> you know, I can't mention this on the podcast, but I can kind of refer people this direction. Uh, uh, have you ever heard the song about Jeff Gordon by Tim Wilson? <laughs> I don't even know who Tim Wilson is, no. Uh, well, it actually is based on a rumor started by Dale Sr. Um, I'm going to text this to you. Don't say anything, Tom, of what it's called, but I want to get your genuine reaction here um, as we're recording this. This all started from a uh, rumor from Dale Sr. here. Um, let's see here. I'm looking this up on, on the old YouTube right now. And uh, my NASCAR people will know exactly what I'm talking about. But, Tom, you're about to about to laugh hard here. Here we go. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Is this guy like a Rodney Carrington? Yes. This looks like it's shot at River Spirit. Probably was. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Do you think Jeff Gordon is going to Dale Dale Senior Hell? Rainbow colored hats and fellas. Oh my god. They say he's putting Vaseline on the twenty four Chevrolet. Rainbow colors. Oh my! The people in the crowd are funnier than the guy singing the song. <laughs> they all know the words. Oh my gosh! Oh my! I can't believe you never seen that before. No, I've never even seen this guy. <laughs> Where is this at? <laughs> The front row is full of people that watched Dylan Hart senior race when he first started. That old. <laughs> and they hate Jeff Gordon. We are, when is this? I see some 90s glasses in here. <laughs> oh, my God. Where did you see this? Oh, it says live in Atlanta. That's a lot of white people for Atlanta. <laughs> I've stamped and submitted my ticket to Dale Earnhardt Hell. And Jeff Gordon's waiting for you. Right. Yeah, I think I'm ready. I think I'm ready to go. This is, oh my gosh, live from Atlanta. Is that Atlanta, Nebraska? Right. So, folks at home, we, uh, we'll leave that up to the imagination. But if you haven't seen Tim what we're talking about, Tim Wilson, Jeff Gordon. Just look that up. <laughs> and 
we by promoting that we might be ruining any chance we have of having Jeff Gordon on the show now. But yeah, hey, that's I'm, I'm sure he's it. heard it. I'm sure he had a good laugh about it. He didn't get to pick Dupont, right? The Rainbow Chevrolet. He won a lot in it, so he did. It's iconic. On that note, we will get out of here. Big thanks to Jimmy B, Jim Brinson for joining us, as well as Coach Bo. As always, subscribe to the show, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review or leave us one at all. We are on social media, facebook.com forward slash Tyler Jones Live, facebook.com forward slash Studio Soapbox, Twitter at Tyler Jones Live, at Studio underscore Soapbox, at Thomas underscore Bridges. And on Instagram, Tyler Jones Live, Insta Thomas, and Jones underscore report. You can find us there. And we'll be back here next week for more on the Super Bowl. And then uh, the week after that, we're going to be coming to you live from Daytona Beach for the Daytona 500. So I look forward to that coming up in just a couple of weeks from right now. For Thomas Bridges and our entire crew, Tyler Jones, thanks so long. This has been another edition of Jones Bowl. We'll see you next week.